well, yeah, but that's how intangible their grasp is on my concept of their substantial existence. Welcome to episode 41 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Dan Wellington. Hello! As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you'd like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. And speaking of which, it's lovely to actually be back in the room again, as it were, Dan, because it feels like it's been ages since we've done one of these. It's been, as they say, a hot minute. <laughs> yeah, it has. Um, just funnily enough, schedules and circumstances just mean it's been a couple of weeks since we've all had a chance to, well, even any of us really, have had a chance to get together yeah. and record one of these. But um, Busy, busy, we, busy. Yeah, right now, uh, time of recording, Dave, I believe, is over in the Americas. He's over in the States somewhere. Not sure where the right United now. United but... States of Americas. That's the one. Uh, I mean, he could be anyway. He's, he, it's to be fair, he's, he's done an episode before when he was recording from India, so... Yeah. So, really, he's slacking. Well, <laughs> I believe he's been busy with a real job. <laughs> so, uh, we can't fault him for that. But yeah, however, uh, this is tonight going to be our review of uh, Warzone... Nackmund. Nachtmund, Vigilus Alone. So yeah, um, I've had this book for a, a little while now, been going through it all, and there's actually a good fair bit in here. Um, there's some interesting new concepts to get touched on, but we've also got some classic, you know, legendary missions, some armies of renown, new campaign system, all that good stuff that's in here. Um, so yeah, so we're going to be breaking that down later tonight. Um, but since it has been a while, um, we're definitely going to have a quick paint station garrison tonight because we want to hear what we've been up to, as well as what Games Workshop has been throwing at us. <laughs> okay. Um, and then hopefully after tonight's show, we can start trying to make a dent in some of that Crusade content again that we need to cover Ooh. because we've now got three, count them, three mission packs that we've yet to review. <laughs> yeah. So look forward to that. And, uh, Tell you what, though, the Wars of Faith one, the latest one, is uh, pretty good. I like it. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to 
diving into that next episode. Okay then. However, in the meantime, we have a couple of announcements. So, first of all, this is your regular reminder about the Crucible of War event happening this April in Belver at Tabletop Events. It's, uh, it's picking up some pace now. I think we've sold about four tools. Some tickets. Some tickets. We, <laughs> we've, we've sold a good number of tickets. So More than three. Definitely more than three. <laughs> no, it's actually less than the total amount available. Hence uh, why we're talking about it. Yeah, at this moment in time, there are still tickets available. So if you are interested in that, go check it out. Um, the... A full event pack is available online. If you go to Tabletop Events and you go have a look for the Crucible of War event on April 30th, you'll be able to find the download links for the event pack there, as well as the place where you can buy tickets. If you look in the Facebook group, um, we also have links to the event pack there and in the description of this episode. So go check out the description below. There'll be a link in there to all of that for both tickets and the event pack. And uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's doing well. People are really enjoying it. I'm getting really excited now when I've been talking with um, <laughs> James at the venue because nice. we've got plans now for all the tables. I've been discussing with him. So since last time we spoke about this, all of the missions are now pinned down. Okay. They've all been paired off with their appropriate theatres of war. So yep. I, know, I now know what the the overall picture is going to look like for the day, which means that I've been able to discuss our table layouts and plans with the guys at Tabletop Events. Cool. So I also know what we will and uh, can provide for each of those tables, including the infamous giant plasma gun. Yay! <laughs> uh, amongst other interesting options. So, um, yeah, they're going to get together some table setups, I think, for one of their gaming nights, and they're going to try out some of these table setups themselves. And uh, cool. hopefully we get to see some pictures soon of the kind of things you can look forward to playing on. Well, that would be pretty sweet. Um, and as for myself, I'm having fun producing the detailed mission documents for all of these different missions. <laughs> um, so hopefully they read nicely, they don't come across as too intimidating. And I'll be the only one who has to read all 16 plus of them. <laughs> yeah. Because at least for you guys on the day, you only have to um, read and familiarize yourself with the free missions that you as an individual will be playing. Yes. Uh, and I fully intend to read and familiarize myself with one and then forget it again. Uh, <laughs> I mean, probably midway through the game, if I'm honest. <laughs> But well, I mean, I mean, obviously, one of the key things is there's going to be the mission details there. Um, there's yeah. going to be reference material. So, for example, my plan is that um, there's at least one mission from every Crusade mission pack. Yeah, well, I say excluding obviously like the multiplayer ones and the planning strike ones. <laughs> like, yeah. What what you could otherwise consider the standard formats, um, and there will be mission packs available. You know, for reference um, to anything that particularly um, you need to know. For example, the Plague Purge mission has access to some additional stratagems. Yes. Those are in the mission pack that will be available for the players on the day. They don't need to bring their own copy. I, uh, I, I played some a couple of games recently with the Plague Purge mission pack uh, and completely forgot or ignored the new stratagems. 
Well, you shouldn't have. <laughs> you shouldn't have because they're fun. They are one of the sort of key selling points of the Plague Purge pack, I think, because I genuinely believe that a bunch of those stratagems could easily exist as core stratagems in proper competitive match play. And I think they'd have some interesting um, influences. Just things like, for example, one of them, you can spend, I can't remember if it's one or two CP, but you can make a non-obsec unit gain obsec for the game. It's nice. Like, we I could see that as a core stratagem. You know, one one use, pick a thing that doesn't have obsec in your army, give it obsec. Yeah. Yeah, we were looking at the uh, the recon ones for our mission last. Um, and uh, there's stuff like uh, do an action and shoot, or do an action when, when there's enemies on the objective and stuff like this. Yeah, it's which again, they, they'd have quite big, you know, impacts in uh, competitive yeah. play if they were a thing, and I think they could be. But yeah, in, in the case, they're there in for fairness us. to me, in fairness to me, it was combat patrol, so I did only start with three command points. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, so as always, go check out Crucible of War. Um, it's Tickets are selling, so I don't know by the time that people listen to this how many will be left, but hopefully there will still be some if you want to get some. Um, and yeah, it's uh, I look forward to seeing everyone there on the day. Yeah. Oh, and also, by the way, we now have a Discord. We do. We do. We now have a Narrative Wargamer Discord server, so that is something that various community members were asking if we would ever do. It was something I've been meaning to get around to for a while, and now I have to. So it's it there. Is there. Yeah, I'm in it. I'm in it. <laughs> good. Um, and yeah, most most of the uh, the hosts are a good number of our community members are in there, and we're just having good chat. We've got all all the usual Discordy things, all our channels dedicated to discussing all the various things that we um, come up with. I mean, in our case, at least, uh, I've tried to keep the server to roughly basically forty k topics. But, you know, we've got channels for Crusade, we've got ones for um, new releases and Warcom. We've got one for Warhammer Plus, so just discussing all the animations and everything else that we see on there and enjoy. And um, personally, I'm, I'm a relatively new user to Discord, but I've been enjoying it and uh, I've been getting involved now. So, yeah, um, I'm hoping to see that grow and see people start sharing resources and hobby posts and just having a good time. So. If you want a link for that, again, um, there's a, there's one in the Facebook group. Uh, if you want to message me directly, I can make sure you get a link. And I don't know exactly how it works in terms of timeout, but I can certainly create <laughs> a link in the description for this episode. But I don't know if maybe it might expire after seven days. But uh, I think you can you can set it to not expire. But well, I will try and do that. So hopefully there'll be a working link for that below but if well, not <laughs> get in touch I mean click on it and again. find out right yeah <laughs> um, so yeah uh, if, if Discord is a thing you enjoy then we have one come join in and chat it's, uh, it is another form of community that we can foster and grow together so that's always a good thing yeah so yeah with that um, I think we can move on to our paint station garrison for tonight because we're even going to squeeze one of those in and uh, find out what it is that we've been working on. So we'll be nice. back in a second, guys.
That's the, that's the jingle, right? <laughs> you don't need to add it now. I've done it. <laughs> Job done. Paint station garrison. And we're back, guys, after that highly produced and good quality intro to this segment. <laughs> right, so, Dan, tell us, what have you yes. been up to? Uh, I've been up to a, a, a bunch of stuff. Um, building recently. Uh, commissions, I've been working on some Tyranids. Um, I've been posting them on the internet for a little while now, here and there. Tyranids using a sponge, uh, so that's nice. Oh yeah, I, I only recently became privy to the whole sponge master meme. Yes, uh, it's a bit of a thing. I like sponges. I like painting with the sponge. It's uh, it's a lovely effect, um, and I am quite a proponent of this. But uh, yeah, if, if you want to, uh, you can go on my blog and find. I've I've done a little mini tutorial of what I do with a sponge. If you're interested, um, sponging which, tips from Dan. Yes. Uh, Red Tooth's mostly 40k blog, something like that. Uh, anyway, so I've been I've been doing that. I've been um, I've been uh, rebasing some uh, Seraphon or Lizard Men. Uh, well, they're not, they're now Seraphon because they're now on round bases for AOS. Um, so that's a thing that happened. And I think the last thing I properly painted for myself was a Death Guard um, Hellbrute that I got off eBay. It was kind of like nearly painted. So I just... Uh, oh wait, I, I just applied some more gunk to it. Because, you know, it's Death Guard. It works. Yeah. For some reason I thought you were going to say you'd been painting spider legs for your Plague Burst Crawler. Uh, I haven't yet, no. <laughs> the... Um, I, I did think about doing like getting some tyranid bits to build legs for it but uh, I haven't quite been brave enough yet I could just imagine them like starting to like poke out from the tracks like they're sort of receded yeah. in for the actual model but they're, they're there as potential spider legs ready to pop out yeah even that I'll just follow magnetising some <laughs> spider legs for it I mean that would be the, the, the I mean I, I did think about maybe getting like a a really cheap rubber spider thing like <laughs> Halloween decoration and just putting that underneath so it's just sitting on the spider legs for when I'm playing Crusade. Uh, that'd be funny. That, I that could work, see right? That. <laughs> uh, so I think that's about it, really. I've just been um, kind of doing a little bits and pieces for myself and then uh, working on this big load of Tyranids. See, it's funny for me because... I've actually found in the last month now I've magically managed to find some more hobby time and it might have something to do with the fact that I've recently started a fully remote new job Ah, so not having commute times and not having lunch hours in an office means yep. that instead I have lunch hours at home ah. <laughs> and commute time that I don't have to spend commuting so instead I can sit painting so wonderfully as such I've actually got through a fair bit since the last episode Hooray. and I'm hoping I can possibly maintain this for a little while moving forward so since the last time we recorded 
I finished my war boss in Megarama just a day or two before we actually played a game, and that was his first outing. Um, I finished. I've actually finished the entirety of the Lamenters Commission. So that I mean that was five more tactical marines and a squad of three suppressors. Um, cool. Which, funnily enough, I have to say, the suppressors, they were a joy to work on. Now, considering that their flight stand, the dual-wielded, yeah. big... Well, flight stand, multi-handed, big heavy weapon flying jump pack models, you almost think all those components would make for a, a difficult model to paint. Yes, those are all bad things. <laughs> but actually, I found they went together really quickly. Um... The arms and the gun were suitable to do as just basically two sub-assembly pieces. So I just had, you know, the Marine's body in its entirety and then its weapon arms. So they were dead simple to actually paint around and then just put together after the fact. Yeah. Um, And I think maybe it's because they've got slightly lighter armor than the Interceptor versions that they actually felt quicker to paint because they don't right. have such large backpacks and armor. Yeah. Because they're in Phobos jump armor as opposed I... to Grievous jump armor. Yeah. I guess when you're painting yellow, any large panel is a chore. Yeah, I mean, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but I also meant joyfully it was the last <laughs> checkered shoulder yeah. pad I've had to do for a while. So uh, how big's the army now? Uh, I think it's basically about a thousand point force. So Fair enough. The Lamenters Commission, its entirety, was, um, in terms of firstborn infantry, it was a squad of ten tactical marines and a five-man squad of stern guard. Okay. With a with a rhino. Um, and then Primaris, there was effectively nine jumpsuit. Primaris, because there were six interceptors and three suppressors. Okay. Three outriders on their bikes, mm-hmm. and then a smash captain, um, which was made from um, Cap- Chapter Master Shrike. So, you know, Primaris right, yeah. jumpsuit, smash captain. Um, cool. So, yeah, I think it was about a thousand point force in the end. Yeah, sounds um, about that. But. <laughs> You'll be uh, you'll be surprised to learn that while it is not the next thing on my commission um, list, I have recently picked up in my um, what's the word not backlog, but like basically in my list of upcoming commissions, uh, yeah. I have my next Space Marine chapter uh, oh. <laughs> that's going to be making its way to me at some point. And let's see how long it takes you to guess which one it is. <laughs> I will give you um, a hint. It yep. has more yellow armor involved. Are you doing Imperial Fist? No. Ooh. Uh, more yellow armor. So, um, more power armor that involves yellow, but funnily enough... Um, not all yellow. Not all yellow, yeah. Uh, Howling Griffins? No. Uh, old school Space Wolves? <laughs> no. Uh, um, something else I'll give you the second colour so the these marines this chapter is primarily yellow and black yellow and black 
Hmm. Yellow and black. You can probably edit this bit out. <laughs> I would tell you they, they recently featured in a um, Black Library novel called The Great Work. Uh, the Great Work with Belisarius Call. That's the one. Yeah, okay. Um, oh, yes, the, uh, the Sides of the Emperor. Is That's it? the one. Yeah, the, the other really unlucky yellow chapter. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the ones that involve a torso and backpack of one colour and all limbs of another. So, including helmet. The helmet I mean, is also black. I mean, could be worse. <laughs> well, it's going to be a series of sub-assemblies, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. But yes, it's going to be fun to work on. Like, I, I, I relish these kinds of things, so... I have moved on from Lamenters to Sides of the Emperor. More yellow. More yellow. Yeah, fun. Uh, but on top of that, I've also um, I've built and started painting a squad of Gretchen, and I've also built a squad of Tankbusters. So there'll be some reinforcements for my Death Skulls coming along in the near future, as and when I get time to work on them. Cool. And uh, yeah, that's that's everything really uh, for me at the moment. But like I said, it's actually been quite a bit that I've got through in the, yeah. in the last couple of weeks. So really pleased with that and uh, yeah I'm hoping to keep blasting through more stuff as I go nice so with that I think we will move on now to our spotlight topic for tonight so as always with these uh, Warzone books we're going to break it down into a couple of segments but we're going to start with the new campaign system so we'll be back with that in just a moment guys are you enjoying the narrative wargamer podcast if you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we're back, guys. So, as always, when we do these Warzone books, we will start with some small caveats, and we're going to list the things we are not going to cover tonight. <laughs> now, funnily enough, it's not actually a lot that we're skipping in this particular book, so we're not going to bother with the Codex supplement for the Order of the Bloody Rose. Um, despite the fact that, to be honest, I haven't actually heard much of them being discussed on you know, no. other shows and things, but it's a Codex supplement. If you have that particular, what they called, they called an order, aren't they? Uh, yes. Yeah. If you collect that particular order of Sisters of Battle, then look at you. There are more stratagems and relics and things yeah. that probably fit well to that particular theme of Sisters of Battle. So enjoy. I mean, I've I've heard that they're they're not going to be turning up at tournaments very much. Um, but I mean, it can't be bad, can it? Because it's it's literally just extra stuff. Yeah. Oh, I mean, put it this way, like, the Blood Axes um, supplement, I think, is great. I think it's one of the most yeah. characterful, like, ways of representing that particular clan and aspect of Orcs 
that there is. It's brilliant. Haven't heard a, a word about it in the competitive circles, but then that's fine. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that, like, really, these books are, are aimed at narrative kind of players, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and the fact that several of the previous ones have suddenly become kind of uh, competitive mainstays is a bit uh, probably the thing that was the most galling about them turning up and like yeah cult of strife for instance uh, mm. or um turning up the same high day as the Le- yeah. codex. or things like high fleet leviathan and um regiment cadians as it were uh, pretty yeah. much the stand, uh, the accepted standard and only way to play those two yeah. factions. Yeah, I mean, so in that case, it feels like it's just a stopgap until the codex, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's like, does anyone but, play a guard who isn't playing them as Cadians? Does anyone play Tyranids who are not playing yeah. them as Leviathan? You know, but for stuff like Order of the Bro- Order of the Bloody Rose, when there already is a, a supplement for a, a Sisters Order, so even if they were pitching it at competitive players. Like they would, don't, they don't need to. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it's fine for it to not be competitive. It's just it is. should be, you know, fun. And speaking of fun, there are also a pair of data sheets in here for the Space Marine Captain in Grievous armor and the Primaris Ancient, which, um, are, as they're now, I believe, available as their own purchasable models for the first time ever. They've also now felt the need to have their own data sheets. Yes, uh, can um, we can we quickly mention that the new Space Marine Captain has option for double power fist, which yeah. is awesome. <laughs> I mean, if he's painted up as an ultra he does look a little bit like he's trying to um, <laughs> yeah. take the crown away from Kalga, but <laughs> yeah, but no, yeah, it's cool. Um, I mean, that's why the data sheet exists because the options of things like the two power fists and the chain sword aren't there in the Space Marine Codex. Yeah. So that's why. But yeah, that's where you'll find these data sheets if you want to play with those units. So I'm sure they're cool. I'm sure they are fun. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of Space Marine captains out there now punching people with both their fists. Yeah, do it. Um, but pretty much everything else we are going to cover. So, first and foremost, it's a Warzone supplement, which means it has its own form of 9th edition campaign. Which, at this point now, I think it's fair to say we're starting to get a little bit spoiled, aren't we? With the sheer range of campaign systems that exist within 9th edition. I mean, I don't think anyone can now say, I want to start a campaign, where do I look? Yeah, you could pretty much point to any Warzone book, and there's at least a system that exists in that one. And yeah. uh, if you're looking for something in particular, then just to... Uh, drop a question in the Facebook group and we'll tell you which one's best. Yeah, that's the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, that's one of the advantages of why we're here. You know, um, Bring it up on the Discord, bring it up in the Facebook group. If there's a particular thing or format you're hoping to emulate or create, we can probably point you in the direction of the best thing for you. Um, and to that end, uh, the War of Faith campaign pretty much runs with the standard method of campaign operation we've seen for these 9th edition campaigns in that it uses phases each phase you earn warzone points and each victory in a phase rewards an amount of strategic victory points and at the end of the last phase of the campaign whichever alliance has the most strategic victory points is declared the winner 
which is, yep. uh, yeah, that's what we know. That's what yep. we like. It works well. And in this particular instance, um, it is a two-alliance system. So as this is um, was a Natchmund, it is outlined as Imperial Alliance and Chaos Alliance with the usual caveats of, of course, any faction could join any alliance. I'm sure you can come up with narrative reasons as to why the Necrons don't want Chaos to succeed and therefore are part of the Imperial Alliance for your Necron yeah. player. Um, and there are, there's a returning Campaign Master's Edict, which is the Concealed Positions. So we covered that one in, I believe it was Book of Fire. But don't quote me on that. It's either that <laughs> or Rising Tide. Um, but it's basically the optional system of um, like strategic reserves, you can pay command points to basically turn deployed units into blip markers so that until the moment at which both armies are fully deployed you and your opponent don't know which your concealed units represent you know yeah and so we've covered that before that's basically the returning um campaign gimmick for this one but what does make it a little different um, is that this is actually a map based campaign oh i mean i say map it's um it's basically territories there's like three places that have been fought over uh, quite nicely the book actually comes with a fold-out map <gasps> yeah so it's uh it's basically a big planetary map of hmm. vigilus fair enough um, and then a nearby moon known as Harflack, which is not one of vigilus's moons it's a moon in the neighboring system um, but that's got some particularly funny background, which might possibly be featuring in a certain fun facts quiz in the near future. Um, but yeah, basically, as a campaign system, you're fighting over three territories. So in the narrative of Vigilus, you're fighting over two areas on Vigilus, which is the Domtoria Hive Sprawl and Storval. Um, so basically, two different sort of like hives. Um, slash continents on Vigilus, and then also fighting over half lack in its entirety. So this um, sort of shrine world moon. Now, how it works is that in previous campaigns, where your alliance would acquire warzone points for your alliance as a whole, when players play any given game, they say which territory they're fighting over. Mm-hmm. Um, so each territory has its own tally of warzone points for that phase and at the end of the phase um, each of the territories is considered to um, be won by one of the alliances for that phase so okay. at the end of phase one or um, you could have for example chaos might win two of the territories and imperium might win one of them yeah then the war zone points for each of them resets for phase two. Okay. But what doesn't reset is um, basically there's like a, um, a campaign tracker for each of those locations. So each of them has um, like, it's like a five step tracker that starts at step three in the middle, which is contested. And then it can move towards either chaos ascendant or chaos held or in the opposite direction, move towards Imperium Ascendant or Imperium Held. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So the, and at the end of each phase, whichever alliance has won the most warzone points for that territory moves the tracker for that territory one um, step in the direction of their victory. So obviously if it starts at the neutral contested position, whichever alliance wins it moves it towards their first step. But if the opposite alliance then won that territory in the next phase of the campaign, it would move back to the contested position. Yeah. Uh, and basically, at the end of the last phase, um, each of those positions has a different victory points value. So, right. if you if you if the Imperium holds half lack and has it at the you know the uh, bottom end of that campaign tracker, that is worth um, X amount. That's worth five victory points to the Imperium. Whereas if they only had it as Imperial Ascendant, so the first step towards Imperial Control, it's worth three victory points. So, across all the phases, your Alliance is going to be battling for control of all three territories, and it's, the position yeah. of control over them is going to vary from phase to phase, and it's the final phase that determines the victory points for the campaign as a whole, based on the final positions of those territory controls. Okay. It's Makes one of these sense. ones where I think if you know if you've got this uh, map pinned up at your local club on the wall, and every week when people come in and play their games, they can see the position of the trackers. It'll yeah. make very clear sense of like, ooh, chaos is controlling half like right now. We need to try and win some imperial victories there, or equally, you know, um, Storval is currently contested. So whoever gets the victory there is going to tip it in that ballot, you know, in that alliance's favour. Sounds like it needs a um, uh, a vigilous uh, swingometer, <laughs> as presented by by uh, Jeremus Vinus. Um, but yeah, so that's. That's basically um, everything in terms of the campaign system. I think there was, um, I think there was something in here about determining who gets to pick which territory you fight over. I can't remember yeah. where it was exactly, but like if there's a dispute, obviously you work out who, which territory is going to be played for for each game. But yeah, it's it's a territory map based multi phase war zone point campaign system, which sounds more complicated than it is. Yeah. If anything, I actually think it's the simplest. Um, one, I mean, the the easiest way to simplify it even further would just be to um, not have multiple territories and just have the one tracker. And at the end of each war, at the end of each phase, score victory points based on its current location. And then over the phases, your victory points for the campaign would total up. I suppose that'd be an alternate way of doing it. But yeah, I, I mean, it sounds simple enough to me. And, and you could go the other way if you were creating a campaign at home and whack on a whole load of extra territories, right? Yeah. I mean, the other thing that is nice in here is while we don't have any what you would call full-scale theatres of war, there are some sort of like mini ones, which are basically like here's one or two special rules that are meant to okay. represent fighting in that particular territory. Kind of the, the equivalent of the twists from the open war. Deck. Yeah, so for example, um, the entirety of the Warzone ability, as it's termed for Dontoria, um, Burning Conviction, 
Once per turn when an Imperial Alliance unit is within 6 inches of an enemy unit is selected to shoot or fight, each time a model in that unit makes a, an attack, you can re-roll the hit roll and you can re-roll the wound roll. So basically, one unit per turn um, can get super re-rolls if it's within 6 inch. Uh, vengeance for Kadia flashbacks. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And then conversely, um, there's also Rampant Corruption as a rule, which is once per turn, uh, during a Chaos Alliance player's command phase, that player can select one Imperial Alliance unit that is not within the controlling player's deployment zone and roll 1d6. On a 2+, plus, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Until the start of the Chaos Alliance player's next phase, sorry, next turn, even, subtract 2 from the Imperial Alliance unit's leadership characteristics. So, okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an odd one, but basically, if you're playing on Dontoria, one player gets to once per turn pick a unit to benefit from super rerolls, and the other player gets to pick one enemy unit to mortal wound and reduce leadership from. Yeah. Which, I mean, deducting two from leadership is significant. Right. Yeah, like, you'll be surprised how often you might actually make a Space Marine unit fail a morale check. Uh the fact that it's once per game and not a command point is well, uh, quite once, good. once per turn once per turn oh yeah, yeah that's pretty good yeah both of those abilities are once per turn for oh, okay. the respective yeah. alliances uh, I, I mean I'd suggest that the imperial one is probably stronger then yeah I would <laughs> as well but like that's it that's the entirety of the rules of fighting on Domtoria fair enough you know so it's like it's relatively minimal Storval uses a uh, tectonic um, instability system. Do you remember the one from Critical Mass where there's six points on the map per player and you randomly determine a line between two points? Yes. And then any units crossed by that line suffer D3 mortal wounds and until the next battle round they half their movement characteristic. Yeah. It's that. And and, nice. that, and that's it. There's nothing else, you know. There's no other rules. It's just that if you're playing in Starball, there's going to be, you know, some earthquakes that are going to cause some casualties. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and, uh, sometimes that's all you need to deal with. Yeah, it doesn't need to be a hugely overcomplicated thing. For for example, in the um, in the Crucible of War um, event, the one of the missions is taken from the. Um, War of Faith's mission pack which that in itself means that the players for that game will be using this whole belief system that's in, uh, as part of that mission system um, and okay. includes idols instead of objective markers and divinity rangers and paragon abilities it sounds complicated but it's not okay I'll take your word for it but when that's the gimmick of the mission because the mission itself actually includes quite a few extra layers of gameplay mechanics. The Theatre of War, I made dead simple because I didn't want to, okay. you know, add complicated stuff Overload. Yeah. Basically, yeah. you know, you're fighting on this, you know, shrine world because it's part of the Wars of Faith. So we played with the shrine world rules from Pariah, which funnily enough, you and me have recent experience with. Yeah. And basically, all it boiled down to is... Um, do you remember the bombardment rule we used, where each shooting yeah. players, each of us got to pick three enemy units and roll a dice? And on a four plus, it took a mortal wound. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Now that you mention it. Yeah. 
that <laughs> basically yeah, that enough. that's the extent of the theater of war for that particular mission there's there's a bit of bombarding going on you know as both sides are trying to topple each other's idols but because that's that's minimalist because the mission has a few extra layers of com uh, complicatedness to it fair enough so that's a good example of when you don't need it to be a lot for it to be relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and then finally, if you're playing in Half-Lack, um, again, two rules, one per alliance. You've got Holy Elation. Each time a combat attrition test is taken for an Imperial Alliance unit, add one to the combat attrition tests. So less likely to run okay. away. Um, and then... Desperate to despoil. Each time a Chaos Alliance unit makes an attack against a character unit, add one to that yep. attack's hit roll. That's pretty good. So plus one to hit characters because they're clearly the symbols of religious fervor. <laughs> so they need to be <laughs> torn down. So yeah, you know, those are the three suggested rules to represent these three territories. And again, if you want to create your own version of this campaign with your own territories, just assign one theater of war. Per territory, yeah. And say if you're fighting, or, or draw a twist from the open war deck, or do that. Yeah, that's another good option. Yeah, you just have, you know, this this territory is particularly hateful, so everyone is hate filled, and therefore gets to reroll if they're attacking the nearest thing. Quite, you know, stuff like that. This one has minus one to hit because of acid rain if you're firing over eighteen inches away or something like that. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's sort of like everything in terms of the campaign system. Funnily enough, there's no campaign badge in this one. Oh. So if you okay. if you play it as a crusade, there's no specific badge attributed to your units for taking part, which also means I suppose the crusade relics and things aren't strictly limited to it, but you know, if you were to play in this campaign, that's when you get access to six relics. Um, because there are three new relics per alliance. I mean, I think if you play this campaign, you give yourself the badge anyway, don't you? Pretty much, you know, you'd be saying this is the War of Faith badge. I'm taking that badge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those Imperial officers always need more medals. Yep. I played in the Wars of Faith and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> but does that t-shirt give you a six-up in bun? Hmm. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so we've got a, a couple of um, new Crusade Relics, which again, these are faction locked in that they're tied to the Alliance, so if you were that Necron player playing in the Imperial Alliance, you would have access to the free Imperial Alliance Relics. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll read them out and then uh, pick one you like the name of and I'll give you the description. So in the Imperial Alliance ones, we've got the Light of Dontoria. Doesn't sound like a bone. <laughs> it's not a bone. The armor of Storval. Probably not a bone. Or the vial of the Halo world. Mm, probably not a bone, but I mean, it's a vial, so it could contain could contain powdered bone. <laughs> um. So this is uh, this small vial filled in the Cathedrum of St. Calga with a small portion of the golden atmosphere of Half-Lack is held in great regard by the pious, its radiance blessing their holy strikes. So, uh, you Hold know on. the... I know what you're going to say. 
Saint who? <laughs> Saint who? Saint Calga. I feel like I need to write a note for that for if we if I'm on the um if I'm on the fun facts episode. It might be worth making a note. <laughs> <laughs> who could this Saint Calga possibly be? Find out mm. next time on Narrative Wargaming. <laughs> All right then. Um, but yeah, so this is basically, you know, the um, the glowy vial that um, Gladriel gives to Frodo. You're right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Shiny vial of uh, bright light. Um, cool. This is a Imperial Alliance model only. The bearer has the following ability: vial of the Halo World aura. While a friendly Imperial Alliance core unit is within six inches of the bearer, each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, reroll hit roll of one. So it's a fair enough. It's a captain aura for melee. I mean, cool. Yep, <laughs> useful. I mean, it, I mean, it'd be good on a, a lieutenant. <laughs> it would actually, yeah. <laughs> That'd be very good. Um, and then we have our free chaos alliance. You know, air quotes. <laughs> okay. Pet crusade relics. We have the Noctilith Eye. Ooh. The Crown of Von Frack. Ooh. And the Burning Skull. Ah, Burning Skull. <laughs> That's right. We have yet another magical bone. And in this case, it is a full skull. Yes. So, this blackened skull, found in Starvol after one of the Coronal War's deadliest battles, is pocked with mutation, barbed spurs of extruded bone growing from its obviously Astartes form. So it's a it's a space marine skull, the best kind. <laughs> was a space marine skull. When words of power are spoken over it, glowing runes appear across its surface, and jets of flame blast forth from its empty eye sockets, like an accusatory stare of wrath from beyond the grave. All right. Does it sound like it's going to be good? Yeah. <laughs> You'd hope it would be after the description like that. That's that's uh, metal AF, I believe. Well, your Chaos Alliance model is equipped with the following weapon: the Burning Skull, <laughs> twelve-inch yep. range, pistol one, mm. strength five, AP minus mm. two, flat damage yeah. three. Okay, it's quite quite cool. Quite burny. And it has the ability that each time an attack is made with this weapon, if a hit is scored, draw a straight line between the closest point of this model's base or hull and that of the closest model in the target unit, and make one wound roll against the target unit and one wound roll against each other unit the line passes over. Nice. So it's a uh, flamey laser eyes from this skull that literally draws a line across uh, the earth in front of you. I mean, that's just cool. <laughs> Probably one of the uh, fanciest magical bones that we've so far had. Yeah. It's a top-tier magic bone. Top-tier magic bone. <laughs> Needs nerfing. <laughs> <laughs> um, just the, the thing I love about these is just imagine if you were playing someone who's had a, who's got like an experienced crusade force and they've had games in different campaigns and they picked up different bits of weird relics and things all over the time and then you just play against someone and they just say oh I'm using my burning skull now like, what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. amazing 
yeah, this is like your Chaos Alliance force, but say it's something like orcs who happen to have been fighting, you know, like to see the downfall yeah. of the Imperium in that campaign, and then you're just like, oh, my snake bite, you know, weird boy, he's just gonna pop out his burning skull. Yep, <laughs> just gonna casually shoot you with the burning skull, you know, <laughs> as, as you, you do. do. Nice. Uh, so yeah, um, and then to round out the sort of campaign elements um, of this book, we're going to quickly run through the three legendary missions, which, as you can guess, are probably related to Dontaria, Starval, and Harflack, respectively. Uh, yep, sounds like it. So yeah, each of the three territories also has their own proposed legendary mission. So first up, we have the Purging of Dontaria. So this is a sort of standard-ish um, Dawn of War deployment, so long table edges, uh, no man's land down the middle. It's a 20-inch no man's land, so just 10 inches from the center line each. Okay. Um, the As proposed by the, the narrative of the uh, conflict, the Chaos Alliance player will be the defender and the Imperial Alliance player will be the attacker, simply because this is meant to be the purging of Dontoria. So it's basically a load of Sisters of Battle turning up to burn this hive of like pox zombies <laughs> to the ground. Okay. Yeah. Um, but obviously, any attack or defender will do for playing this mission between whichever armies. Uh, the defender sets up five objective markers anywhere on the battlefield. Up to two of them can be in the defender's deployment zone don't have to be but up to a maximum of two of them can be okay. put in the defender's deployment zone usual stipulations of table edges and distances from each other apart blah 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 blah, blah. Um, the attackers units can perform an action with an infantry unit in order to basically burn slash destroy these objective markers uh, so oh at one point uh, where possible the objective markers have to be placed inside an area to in peace if possible Okay. Which is interesting. interesting. Yeah, because not normally in 9th edition is it suggested or even allowed that objective markers are inside terrain, but in this mission mm -hmm. it is dictated they must be if able. Okay. And that is because uh, there's sort of two rules that pertain to that. While a unit from the attacker's army is within three inches of a terrain feature that has an objective marker within it that is not a flame, which is what obviously happens when you use the action. Um, okay. Then each time a combat attrition test is made for that unit, subtract one from combat attrition tests. So until you've purged the scary objective, it's a bit scary. It's scary. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, by purging it and setting it on fire, uh, an infantry unit from your army can start to perform this action at the end of your command phase, what is in range of an objective marker. It is completed at the end of your turn. If this action is completed, that objective marker is considered to be a flame. At the end of each battle round, each player rolls 1d6 for each unit from their army that is within 1 inches of a terrain feature that contains an aflame objective marker. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. On a 1, that unit suffers one mortal wound for every 5 models that unit contains. Okay. Which is an interesting precedent. I've not seen them very often specify a set amount of mortal wounds for a set number of models in the affected unit. No. I don't think I've ever seen that. No. 
Uh, but yeah, so basically once it's on fire, there's a chance that you might get caught in the fire. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of scoring, it's your sort of relatively typical objective-based stuff. So uh, both players will score five victory points at the end at the end of their command phase if they control one or more objectives, control two or more objectives. And in the case of the attacker, they score five victory points if two or more of the objective markers are aflame. And in the case of the defender, they score five victory points if three or less of the objective markers are aflame. <laughs> so there is a brief overlap where you would both score five points if exactly two are aflame. Yeah. Uh, but basically, yeah, like score points for holding them and score points for your respective objective of either keeping them alive or setting them on fire. <laughs> Fine. Uh, and then uh, there's also basically doubling down on that as an end game objective. So uh, at the end of the game, the defender scores five victory points for each marker that is not a flame, and the attacker scores five victory points for each marker that is a flame. Yeah. Um, and then your victory bonus uh, at the end of this is the victor gets to set their requisition points to five. So a big payout in that term. Oh, yeah. It's um, always nice. Uh, if you achieve a significant enough victory, so enough objectives set alight or enough objectives not set alight, uh, the victor's warlord um, is marked for greatness in addition to your actual unit being marked for greatness. Nice. That's always good as well. Yeah. So it's um, a nice take on the sort of standard table lengths, objectives, burn them, don't burn them sort of mission. If in doubt, burn them. If in doubt, burn them, but don't get burnt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then next up we have the crowning of Storval. Now this one's a bit more um, sort of tabletop thematic narrative, you know, where you could imagine custom markers for a lot of these things including a Noctilith crown terrain piece if you were doing it as Chaos versus Imperium Yeah So again, as per the narrative, Imperium is attacking Chaos is defending A lot of this obviously is all taking part on Vigilus being effectively reclaimed by the Imperium after the events of Abaddon's attack, so a lot of it is clearing out the Chaos filth <laughs> that's still hanging around uh, in this case, it's about trying to destroy some of the Noctilith grounds. Yeah. So, um, deployment map. You've got the attacker gets their long table edge, but it's a good chunk of the table because they're only five inches back from the center point. Okay. The defender gets a similar arrowhead deployment. So the tip of their arrow is five inches back from the center point. So there's only 10 inches between the tips yep. of the deployments. But the defenders goes back to the table corners as an arrowhead. Okay. Now, there are four objective markers total, but three of them are in no man's land. One of them is at the dead center point, so in between that 10 inch gap. Two of them are 
15 inches across, either way from the centre point, and then 6 inches back towards the defender's table half. Okay. So, sort of like in the defender's table half, but not in their deployment zone, because theirs is an arrowhead. Yeah. Those three objective markers are energy node objective markers. They respectively are basically your ritual sites that are powering the Noctilith crown. The Noctilith crown is the fourth objective marker, which is dead center pretty much in the defender's deployment zone. So that is 15 inches back from the center point. Yeah. Um, so the mission is basically all about the nodes of power empowering the Noctilith crown and the defender trying to obviously maintain all these and the attacker trying to again tear them down, destroy them, burn them, whatever. That's standard. Standard, yep. Uh, so, a couple of rules in effect here. Uh, um, so, the deactivated crown objective marker has the abyssal energies aura. So this is the objective marker in the center of the defender's deployment zone. While a chaos unit, but again, I would just reread that as anything from the defender's army. Yep. Is within range of this ability. Each time a psychic test is taken for that unit, add one to that psychic test. Um, and each time a unit from the attacker's army is within range of this ability, it suffers. Is within range of this ability. When it suffers the perils of the warp, that unit suffers three mortal wounds instead of d3. So it doesn't okay. make it any more likely to happen, but when it does, it's deadlier. It hurts. Yeah. Uh, and the range of this aura is six inches per each of the remaining energy node of my objective markers. Right, okay. So it starts as an 18-inch aura. Oof. Um, and then would, you know, fall back to um, 12, 6, and 0. <laughs> if right, you technically yeah. destroy them all. Um, which is interesting because, obviously, it's only 15 inches from basically any of the markers so if you're going to be on the markers to take them out in the first place at least you're going to you're be, going in to be that in that yeah. range yeah. Yeah. and uh, units in the attacker's army can basically perform an action to destroy those markers you know, one unit from your army can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase if it is in range of an energy node marker you cannot start this action while any enemy units are in range of the same marker this action is completed at the end of your turn. If it's completed, the objective marker is considered to be demolished. Then, okay. in terms of scoring, uh, progressive objectives, we have channeled energy. At the end of the defender's command phase, they score five victory points for each energy node marker that has not been demolished. Can't be scored in the first battle round, but you know, five points per marker you've still got operational. Yep. Um, the attacker has one that's the opposite of that, so uh, five points for every marker that has been destroyed. Can't be scored uh -huh. in the first round. And then end game, the crown ascendant. At the end of the battle, the player who controls uh, the Noctilith crown objective marker scores 15 victory points. So, okay. again, you've... Sizable chunk. Yeah, because you've got this thing where progressively based on how well you are either attacking or defending the objective markers in the middle of the table throughout the game 
and then at the end of the game, whoever actually has the key objective, which is the Noctilith Crown, is also worth a chunk of points. So you could, in theory, in the last turn or two, possibly try and give up the defense of the node markers if you know that the game is that close that holding the Noctilith Crown is going to swing it for whichever yeah. side. Which is interesting because it gives you that element of you just have to hold out long enough, you don't necessarily yeah. have to hold out indefinitely. It's also notably not one of these ones where it gives you like 60 points if you score an end game objective. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, a, there's, a, there's somewhere it's just if you do this you win, but if you don't do this here are some points to work out who won. Uh, yeah, I mean I think infamously I, I do, I think there's two instances in all the mission packs so far where the attacker can progressively score up to a total of 75 points for achieving various objectives and all the defender can do is achieve their end game, which is worth either 0 or 90. Yeah. <laughs> which makes everything the attacker is doing redundant. Yes. Well, not redundant in that obviously what they're trying to do is prevent the defender from achieving their 90 point objective. Yeah. You know, yeah. but the other things they were doing as like their not so much. Yeah, side quest, as it were. <laughs> Their secondaries, almost. It is sort of redundant. <laughs> um, but fortunately, we don't have any of those examples here tonight. Because then our last mission... Oh, also, I suppose it's worth bearing in mind that that Noctilith Crown mission is the one that uses the earthquakes and the tectonic yes. points. You know, that does make it slightly interesting, given you know, there's lots of objectives in weird positions. Yes, and the fact that certain units could have their movement characteristics halved at vital yeah. moments in the battle, such as trying to reach the Noctilith Crown. Yeah. Um, yes, then our last mission is the Corruption of Harflack. Now, I think this is a, a fun one, because I could almost see this as being sort of like a GT mission pack style mission, because it's... okay. It's one of these ones where it takes a game mechanic that's quite straightforward and then turns that into a scoring method, but it's also quite nice to see play on the tables. A bit like my opinion of the Break the Stalemate mission uh, from Kill Mass, where you're you're kicking forwards and backwards the line of objective markers. Right. Yeah. Because this is very similar to that in that this is played on short table edges. Okay. Um, e equal distance of no man's land, so you're both players are 16 inches back from the center point, which okay. obviously from short table Quite edges. That is a short table edges, but yeah, that's a, a good, what, 32 inch no man's land? Yeah. Then down the center line of the battlefield from long edge to long edge, you've got three objective markers, one in the center and one either side 12 inches away. Okay. So again, you've got this line of objective markers that line up in parallel with the deployment zones for both forces. And basically, it's just about controlling and doing a sort of like plant the flag equivalent action on these objective markers. All three objective markers start in a uncorrupted state and the attacker can perform a corrupt generator action, which basically you perform the action on an objective marker that you control and isn't contested, and you flip it into a state of being corrupted. Equally, the defender has a purge generator action, which is the same thing that they can perform on a corrupted objective marker to flip it to be uncorrupted. Right. So you're basically flipping that switch 
you know, as to whether the state of the objective market is corrupted or uncorrupted. Yeah. Um, and then each... duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then each player, respectively, gains five points in their command phases for controlling one or more objective markers, for controlling one or more corrupted markers, or for the defender, it's one or more uncorrupted markers. Yep. Okay. And then for the attacker, if there simply are two or more objective markers that are corrupted, and for the defender, two or more that are uncorrupted. Right. Because you don't have to control it to score those particular five points. Yes. You can flip it into a state of being corrupted and then just be fighting over it, and you've both got obsec, yeah. you, you've got no obsec units, or you know, you've got the same number of models, or nobody's on the point anymore, but it's still Doesn't matter. They, they have to use the action to uncorrupt it. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So it, it's a it, it's quite a symmetrical mission in terms of same deployment zones, same distances to the objective markers, everything's evenly spread about the table. You both have um, symmetrical, if differently named, methods of scoring. I flip this objective to be in my favour as opposed to my opponents, and you're both scoring yeah. five points for controlling one or more, controlling one or more that is in your favourable state, and having two or more that are in your favourable state without having to be controlled. Yeah. The only thing that technically is an imbalance is that all three start in an uncorrupted state, which means they all effectively yeah. start in the ideal state for one of the players. It's not like they start in a neutral state and you're planting a flag. It starts in the defender's preferred state. Is this uh, a mission where like the attacker goes first or something? No. Other than the fact okay. that um, neither player scores their victory points in the first battle round, there's nothing that's like a balancing factor against that. Fair enough. So that's this like narrative element to it is that they start, you know, in the defenders' yeah. um, control, as it were. So suppose if you wanted to make it a straight down the middle, you know, primary with secondaries GT style mission, they would start in a neutral state, and you would simply have to plant your flag as opposed to corrupting and uncorrupting. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I could see that in sub mechanic like that in the GT pack. Yeah, if it isn't already, I haven't looked at them all. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I have even also not looked at them all. But the idea that you know there's a planting flag state which lets you lay claim to five victory points without having to control the marker. Yeah, it's quite cool. Is a, an interesting take. That's everything in terms of the campaign stuff that's contained within here. Um, so, again, compared to some of the other ones uh, in previous books, it might just be the fact that, to be honest, we're getting quite practiced now at going through these Warzone books uh, and disseminating their contents for um, the sort of things that we like to dive into, that maybe that's why it feels a little quicker to run through uh, it all. I mean, I think we've um, we've done ones in the past that have got a lot more kind of crunchy stuff to go through with big tables full of effects. Uh, that we, we've not got here, right? Yeah, or additional resources that have been tracked yeah. on an alliance, you know, by alliance yeah. um, instance and so on. But not to detract from it, but yeah, again, I think it's quite a good, straightforward system for using a territory 
map style campaign. Again, I think this would be a good one for a gaming group such as a game club, you know, where you've got lots of players contributing to the overall outcome as opposed to two individuals who are running a campaign yeah. between themselves. I think this is yeah. a, a larger group campaign system. So, yeah. Uh, with that, we will take a quick break and then we'll come back looking at the <laughs> armies of renown, kind of air mm -hmm, quotes, mm -hmm. multiple. And we're back, guys. So, as with all of these Warzone books, we have some new armies of renown. Now, strictly speaking, there is one new army of renown, although I feel, in truth, there's kind of two, which we'll get to shortly. But first of all... One and a half, then. One and a half, call it. Yeah. <laughs> but first of all, we have the Vanguard Spearhead. So this basically is a brand new army of renown for all the sneaky boy space marines. Yeah. Well, not all of the sneaky boy space marines. Well, most of all of the sneaky boy Primaris Space Marines. True, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I suppose at this point, sometimes the firstborn are starting to drift out of my memory. I almost forget they exist at this point. It's controversial, <laughs> <laughs> especially hey. given you just painted some of them. Well, yeah, but that's how intangible their grasp is on my concept Oof. of their substantial existence. Oof. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there's a pull quote for the start of the episode. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a point to be taken out of context. Um, but yeah, all, all the primary sneaky boys. So basically, yes. one of the key restrictions for this army of renown is your army can only include uh, Phobos units, suppressor units, Invictor tactical warsuits, and impulsors. So you do get a transport, which isn't strictly a, a sneaky thing, but. Um, that's how generous of them yeah how generous <laughs> so anything in sneaky armor be it uh, Phobos or Warsuit variety <laughs> yeah um, however no Death Watch not allowed that because uh, I suppose technically yeah. if they didn't have the caveat you could do a full Phobos Death Watch army and get all the yeah. Death Watch goodness as well as this so that was a well a the Death Watch have their own they have their own army for nine so yeah they do so you know go do that <laughs> yeah um and the other sort of restriction you get is that regardless of what chapter you are by being a vanguard spearhead you don't gain your chapter tactics because instead you're going to get the thing that the vanguard give you so you know if you're an ultra smurf you can't fall back and chew if you're the salamanders still have re-rolls as their current uh tactic. they've got um they ignore AP minus one, oh, yeah. and they get to re-roll one wound roll for each unit. Yeah, and, and so on. You know, um, your blood angels don't get your plus one to wound and plus one to charge. Yeah, uh, hmm. space wolves presumably don't get to heroically intervene. Yeah. So you plus know, one to hit. Yeah, your your chapter tactic. That's, is, uh, no, no. That, that's that's kind of interesting. You saying space wolves and blood angels, because in my mind I only thought of it as a codex space marine thing but i guess they all are codex space marines aren't they because yes because they're supplements just is yeah so that is yeah that works yep it's interesting 
It'd be interesting to see a Dark Angel force done this way, because of the fact that it wouldn't have Ravenwing or Deathwing, but it would give you a pretty sort of significant way of playing a Greenwing Deathwing army. Yeah. Which, obviously, part of the caveat of this is that you still have access to all your chapter-based war Strat gear and stratagems. And stuff, right? yeah. And all. yeah, so you can still do hmm. um, weapons of the Dark Age, if any of these units can have plasma weaponry. <laughs> don't I don't think they do. think so. <laughs> but, you know... Other examples, I'm sure, are better that exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, exploding sixes in combat with space wolves. Is that a thing? Mm. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, I think that's their um, their super doctrine, isn't it? Well, so you do still get your doctrines. This does yes. not detract from that. So obviously, yes, your super doctrine for your chapter would still take effect. Um, and you still get doctrines as a whole anyway. Yeah just the chapter tactics however the upsides that you get so one you get access to some new relics and stratagems as per an army of renown typically does um, a selection of units that don't traditionally have obsec gain obsec in this case it is incursors infiltrators and reavers okay so most of what you would consider your troop choice sneaky boys i mean the the infiltrators and the incursors usually have it anyway don't they because they're troop choices um, I think so, maybe, sure. But Reavers yeah. gain it now <laughs> as well. I mean, that's nice. Um, you do gain light cover against attack against range attacks from over eighteen inches away. So you're kind of Raven Guard. <laughs> kind of Raven Guard, yeah. Um, but the other sort of two main uh, benefits you get. So, so I suppose, first of all, gaining the light cover over 18 inches is kind of like the first part of the alternate chapter tactic that yeah. you're going to be getting because you're a vanguard spearhead, so you, you get that. You also get infantry units gain a plus one to hit with ranged weapons after making a normal move and ending over four inches away from where they started. Hmm. So... By being on the move constantly, you're getting plus one to hit with range attacks. Interesting. It is interesting. I mean, it's going to turn most of your marines into hitting on twos, which is pretty damn accurate, or it's going to offset basically any negative modifiers you would ever be suffering from. Yeah, move and shoot with the suppressors, right? Uh, yeah, or just any stratagems or special rules or anything the opponent has. All you have to do is yeah. move four inches and you're still going to be hitting on your BS three plus against an otherwise negative modifier. Yeah, reverse um, Dark Angels. <laughs> um, and also, all these units. This isn't just your infantry. This is everything. Uh, can consolidate up to six inches instead of three inches. That's um, uh, I suspect surprisingly useful. Yeah, I mean, especially if you've got things like your Reaver squads or your tactical warsuit that's just killed a unit in combat. And then you're going to consolidate six inches, you know, towards, you know, obviously Veneris and a unit as such, but if that's going to bring you behind cover, out of sight, onto an objective, yeah. you know. the Onto the objective is the, the key one there. You can do a lot with a six inch move. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, like. There's a surprising amount of mobility as the focus of the uniqueness of this army of renown. You know, you want to keep moving to get your pluses to hit, and you get six-inch consoles. Yeah. 
like surprising about mobility based bonuses. Um, and then yeah, we've got a couple of cool relics, which are basically here's some weapons that do better fighting. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a piece of armor that gives you transhuman on the hit roll. Uh, that, that new thing that we've seen starting to creep its way into more recent yep. publications. Um, and we've got a whole bunch of new stratagems, but noticeably, there's some new um, like war gear, so the tools of the vanguard. So basically, you know how like the infiltrator squads come with like the mini apothecary adept and the mini yes. like comms guy. It's almost like the rector actively going back to the kits and saying there's actually some extra roles in there based on the models. So, in the case of the infiltrator squad, if your army is a vanguard spearhead, then when you are mustering your army, you can upgrade models within infiltrator squad units with the following additional war gear options. Now, what's important is that I cannot see anything here that's related to a points or power level cost with these things. They're just Here's a free upgrade you can have because you're this formation. Okay. So, cool. um, one infiltrator that is not equipped with a helix gauntlet, infiltrator comms array, or vox breaker or specs can be equipped with one saboteur explosive pack. And then, equally, another infiltrator that does not have the gauntlet, the comms, or the saboteur explosive pack can be equipped with a vox breaker or specs. Right. And both of these things just give those units those keywords. You know, Sabotage Explosive Pack and Vox Breaker All Specs, which then tie to two particular stratagems in this army of renown. But what's funny, obviously, is there's a model on those sprues that you know has an Explosive Pack. There's one that has an All Specs. Yeah. So it's kind of like they're going, oh, actually, we've got some of these parts of the plastic sprue which are just there for modeling effect, you know, model's sake to look nice, but actually, why do we create some in-game keywords for those pieces of gear they're carrying? That's interesting. It is, because it's like Vector actively going back and saying, actually, you don't just have Helix guy and comms guy, you've also got Explosives guy and Auspex guy. Yeah. So in, like, the next cool. iteration of the Codex, there'll probably just be four roles within the Infiltrator squad rather than two. Maybe. Or they, or they might just have that keyword anyway. Or that, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I guess, don't you technically currently have to pay points for, like, the Helix Adept? I think so, yeah. So it might be that they make the, you know, Saboteur Explosive Pack an actual paid upgrade, and they might do something significant. Could be. In either case, um, the Incursor squads also have the inclusion of a Marksman target tracker. So the the guy with the uh, the pop-up, like... <laughs> targeting array on his backpack cool yeah, he's, he's stolen a multi-tracker from a crisis suit somewhere <laughs> um, and yeah we've got a number of various stratagems including you know reavers fight things better combat units do some more wounds on sixes stuff like that but of particular note we've got dispersal protocols so a 2cp stratagem Use this stratagem at the end of the fight phase. And that's the most important thing I think about this. It's the fight phase. Select yep. one Vanguard spearhead unit from your army that is within engagement range of any enemy models. That unit can fall back as if it were your movement phase. 
Oh. So the two CP, they get to basically have a movement phase at the end of the fight phase. And importantly, mm, it doesn't the ha- fight phase. Yeah, it doesn't have to be your fight phase. It can be the opponent's fight phase. It's very interesting. Right? So, you know, your turn, you move up, you shoot, you charge, whatever. You don't kill the thing you're fighting, you're still fighting it. Their turn. They don't back out, they're still fighting you. But, say, you don't even have to kill a unit. Unless you're in combat with them in their turn. And at the end of their turn, for 2CP, you make a fallback move. Which, one, that gets you the movement, you know, first of all. But also, it means that when it comes to your turn, you can then behave normally, because you've not made a fallback move in your turn. Yeah. And, I mean, that's great. You could you could fall back onto an objective and then be on it for the start of your command phase. Yeah. <laughs> and then score your victory cool. points, right? Like, yeah. again, I don't think I've seen... I, I, I'm not the sort of person where I have an in-depth cyclopedic knowledge of every stratagem for every race as they come out, but I'm not aware of anything that gives you the ability to fall back in your opponent's turn anywhere else. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't remember that. So that stood out to me as being particularly noteworthy, and also the fact that, again, this is movement shenanigans, something that this whole you know formation is kind of all about. Yeah. Um, so I think you'll be surprised quite how slippy these guys are you know <laughs> they'll just be darting around the table a lot more than you expect like they've charged you they've consolidated six inches you know from when they were fighting you and then they can do a fallback move before their turn very interesting um, then also I was going to point out the saboteur explosive pack so again, we now have a stratagem that is tied to a unit with that keyword for one CP. Um, use a stratagem when a saboteur explosive pack unit from your army is selected to fall back. So bear in mind, you could do this in combination yep. with your dispersal protocols. So for three CP, fall back in the opponent's turn. And then uh, before that unit moves, select one enemy vehicle or monster unit that is within engagement range of this unit and roll 1d6. Adding three to the result if the enemy unit is a building. <laughs> sure. Obviously. Uh, but on the two to five, the enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Or six, it suffers D6 mortal wounds. Nice. So the fact that you could even like throw a bomb at something as you back off from it in your opponent's turn is pretty hilarious. Yeah, classic. Um... And then, finally, the last one I wanted to sort of highlight, again, because of the wording being very sort of interesting, is the <laughs> the pivotal moment stratagem. So this is a Vanguard Spearhead epic deed stratagem for 2CP. There comes a crucial juncture in many battles where opportunity presents a key enemy target for the perfect shot. Whether the accumulation of patiently outmaneuvering the enemy or sheer fate... If the moment is seized, it can turn the tide of whole wars, sending far larger forces into rout. Use this stratagem in your shooting phase when a Vanguard Spearhead Corps model from your army, not unit, not character, model, model, which is very interesting, Interesting. (laughs) from your army is selected to shoot. Until the end of the phase, each time that model 
makes a ranged attack against an enemy warlord, a successful wound roll inflicts a number of mortal wounds equal to the damage characteristic of the weapon used for that attack, and the attack sequence ends. Okay. Which... Um, interesting. Yeah. Now, obviously being Primaris Vanguard units, I don't believe they have access to a melter gun <laughs> on you know no. any of these, but... Well, you'd either want something with lots of damage or something with lots of shots, wouldn't you? Yes, <laughs> in theory. But I think it's very interesting that you would pick a model from a unit. Now, again, being yeah. Primaris, it's not often you have mixed weaponry in squads. In fact, I think the only real option here would be um, the Eliminator Sergeant. <laughs> yeah, he's got a different weapon. Yeah. Um, can do. Can do. Just, just to be clear, um, the Invicta Warsuit isn't core, is it? Uh, I couldn't tell you, isn't my honest answer, because I'm not okay. a Space Marine player. I don't think it is, but if it is, then, I mean, That's you hilarious. just use that flamer and off you go. <laughs> but again, I think that's a really interesting precedent for potential future stratagems or other yeah. situations where they're actually... Like the rules writers, as it were, are calling their shot and saying it's a model. It's not a character. It's not a unit. It has to be a core model. So I suppose very few characters actually are core. That's a point. Uh, yeah. No. I don't think there are any, actually. Um, but just an interesting point. I mean, like you say, it's a good stratagem anyway, just virtue of the fact that if you are attacking the Warlord you just get to convert hit rolls into mortal wounds. Oh, no, sorry, successful wound rolls into mortal wounds equivalent yeah. to the damage. So you're bypassing the saves, you you know, you're just going, yeah, I've, I've, I've hit you at the right moment. Yeah. But, very interesting, interesting. wording. And do you know what else is interesting, Dan? Uh, no, please tell me. Not so much an army of renown, but instead, an army of faith... Oh. So, um, this is the second, air quotes, army of renown in this <laughs> book. The only reason I, I put that caveat in there <laughs> is because it's Crusade exclusive. Army of renown. This is not a real army of renown. <laughs> it may look like an army of renown. It may sound like an army of renown. It behaves and plays pretty much like an army of renown, but it's not. But it's not. <laughs> Simply because it uses a uh, resource mechanic that's played across multiple games and therefore it is built and designed for the Crusade environment. But in terms of army structure, it behaves very much like an army of renown. Have they uh, have they called it like uh, anything or is it just the army of faith? No, yeah, it's just the army of faith crusade rules. So right. the thing itself is um, um, an army of faith. Okay. And it's explicitly tied to imperial forces because basically it's a imperial soup like formation. Yeah. Um, it's a way of create because so this is one of the things which actually on paper has always been the case since the start of 9th edition. Your order of battle in a crusade game doesn't have to be drawn from a single faction. No. You 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 could I mean you got to have at least one adjoining keyword, so it would have to be like your super yeah. keywords Imperium, Aldari, Chaos. 
whatever. But like a Chaos Force could include in its order of battle Death Guard and Thousand Sons. If you play yeah. the game where you have both of those units present, you don't get your respective mono faction bonuses. But you could yeah. have a hundred power level order of battle, fifty fifty between your Thousand Sons and Death Guard. And if you played a game yeah. with your pure fifty power level Death Guard, you would get your mono faction bonuses for that game. Yeah. It's just a bit of a pain to have to work it out because obviously when you're putting your, your army from your order of battle, you've got to uh, pick the right power level of units to make it fit that also have the right keywords. Exactly. And, Which is yeah. why I imagine most players, myself included, um, will typically play in mono faction orders of battle. Yeah. You know. I've, I've considered... Uh, trying to fit a, a knight into my um, Admech Crusade, but uh, I've not got that far yet. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you could easily make it a House Raven one and then actually legitimately make it part of your Admech force with a certain well, House Raven stratagem. <laughs> hmm. um, but yeah, so I, I believe I've seen one or two of our community members on the Facebook group um, talking about their mixed Imperial Crusades. Um, so I do know there are some people out there that do this and maybe yeah. the army of faith is for them because it's almost exactly that. So, in terms of restrictions, uh, the army of faith basically can consist of Astra Militarum, Adaptus Ministorum, and Adaptus Astartes units. So Space Marines, Sisters of Battle, and Imperial Guard, basically. In sort of any build. The only exclusions are that one, no Death Watch. Again, they don't get to come and play here. Fair. Um, and two, a bit like the Disciples of Bellacor, there's a per X kind of unit, you need to have one of X other kind of unit, you know, um, restriction. So in this case, for each non-troops unit from one of those three factions, you must include a troop unit from that same faction. So for every elite Adaptus Astartes unit, you would have to also have a troop choice Adaptus Astartes unit. Okay. Um, Sorry, is that so in you your overall? Have... Yeah, is that in your overall army or in your your force for a game? So it would be your order of battle because this is actually created as an order of battle level formation. Okay. So if you're playing an army of faith, your order of battle for this crusade force is an army of faith. Yeah. So, oh, so right. you could I, say I, I see I see what I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Um yeah, let me just check the exact wording on it for you. Um mustering an army of faith in order to include any Adeptus Astartes units that do not have the troops battlefield role, your army must contain at least one Adeptus Astartes troop unit. And this is for the purposes of building detachments and so on. So I would assume it is on so, an army yeah. for the game level. Yes. So, so you for example, you order, your order of battle, but you wouldn't be able to use them in game necessarily. Yes. So, for example, you could have a squad of tactical units or intercessors, whatever, and then you could have two HQs, but you would only be able to bring one of the HQ characters to any one game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only other restriction is that your army must contain at least one priest unit. 
fair enough. And that could be drawn from any of those factions. So it could be a chaplain from your Space Marines. It could be um, a actual priest, like Minotaurum priest from Aesisters of Battle. Um, but I think things like, is the Dogmata also a priest? Like it's got uh, I think sort so. Of like, yeah, yeah, it's got like the ninth edition priestly rules, you know, of I invoke a thing. Yeah, they've got the quite a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think the only thing the Astra Militarum have is your sort of like standard ecclesiastical priest. priest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so your army must have at least one priest because presumably they are sort of like the focal point of the faith of this gathering of despots of the Imperium. Like they are the religious figurehead that they're following you know yeah um, they've obviously been chosen by the emperor for some divine purpose that they're following them for um yeah so that's so that's the restrictions on build so you know like you say one non-troop per troop for each of those sub-factions and your animals contain at least one priest somewhere in there now there are some benefits and one sort of other drawback that you get from this and i'm gonna to have to read the wording for it exactly because i was discussing this funnily enough in one of the discord servers because it's a little ambiguous and i believe i know what the writers were going for so i think i know what the intent of the rule is but i would like to hear your impression on how it's written but basically okay as you can imagine if you've got an army that contains you know space marines ancestors of battle and imperial guard you're effectively playing a mixed faction force. Now, yes. in theory, the way this is worded and the way it's intended is that you basically don't get your chapter cha- your chapter tactics equivalent rules for those factions. Okay. So an army of faith detachment counts as an adapter sororitas, adapter sestates, an astra militarum detachment for the purposes of of any detachment abilities your army gains, e.g. stratagems you can use. So for example, obviously right. if you've got these mixed units, you can still use Imperial Guard stratagems, you can still use Astarte stratagems and Sisters of Battle stratagems. You're okay. Not, you're not being not allowed to use them because you've got a mixed force. You are yeah. allowed all that. Obviously that doesn't change the keywords of the unit, so you can't use a guard strat on a Space Marine. Exactly, instance. but if your space just... was an imperial fist, he could also still use an imperial fist stratagem. Yes, even though there's it. not imperial fists in the detachment. Well, no, there would be. There'd be him. Like there would be imperial fists, but it's not an imperial yeah, no, fist yeah. detachment. But yes, imperial fist I mean, units even though there, yeah, there's there's units that aren't imperial fists that are in the detachment yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. Basically, this line about an army fifth detachment counts as those three keywords, detachments, for the purposes of any detachment abilities your army gains. The only example given is e.g. stratagems you can use. So in terms of what benefits you do and don't get for being a mixed, like, soup-style list, in the mustering your army section it says an army of faith detachment counts as those three detachment keywords for the purposes of any detachment abilities you gain. Cool. So anything you would get for being Adaptus Sestatis, you get. Anything for being Astra Militarum, you get. Anything for being Adaptus Sororitas, you get. Would you agree? Yes. yes. Yeah. 
then there's a bit later on that talks about instead of any chapter tactics order convictions or regimental doctrines an army of faith unit from your army has they gain the following ability instead so we'll get to that in a second but basically it's saying the army of faith has its own universal chapter tactic benefit okay would you agree yes yeah so you know your imperial fist doesn't get his imperial fist chapter tactic your order of the bloody rose doesn't get that benefit and your valhallans don't get that benefit yeah because they're in a detachment of army of faith uh, of yes or astartes guard and uh sisters or whatever yeah but not of imperial fists yes which means instead in this case they gain the faith of the emperor keyword and it's yeah benefit now the question is does the space marine still get combat doctrines uh i i would say yes do the sisters of battle still get miracle dice uh i think so and would any Lehman Rust battle tanks in his spearhead detachment still get upset? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> right? I agree. That's my interpretation of this, is that basically it's saying anything you get for being a detachment of that faction, you still gain. Anything that you would gain from being the specific chapter or order or regiment, you don't. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so basically the trade-off is that rather than being an Imperial Fist or a Bloody Rose or a Valhallen, you instead gain the faith in the Emperor. But you still have access to your stratagems, uh, your miracle dice, your combat doctrines. Uh, In the original question I was talking on the Discord about was Black Templars still getting their vows? Yeah. Because that's not their chapter tactic, it's just the thing they do for instead of combat doctrines yeah i've not got any of those codexes immediately to hand (laughs) neither Um, do i (laughs) so yeah it's it's an interesting point i just wanted to clarify because i say i was discussing this already on the discord and um everyone was sort of in agreement that this was the intent basically you get to suit yeah (laughs) you get to soup your free imperial forces and they behave in the way they normally do with all their mono faction benefits except they don't get their specific chapter tactic equivalency mm. because it's replaced by the faith in the emperor one. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like by the rules that would be how it works, but I'm not sure if that's the intent. The intent because then you would have three different ones potentially to be keeping track of during the game. Which potentially, is... you know, like what AP have I yeah. got on my space marines and what miracle dice do I still have in my pool? <laughs> Yeah, you know, but oh yeah, sorry, two because guard don't have one. Like I say, just remember those obsec leaving russes. Oh yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's an interesting point. I think I think that's the intent, and honestly, I don't think it's like overpowered to have those abilities in addition to what you gain here because it's not like these are the most broken things in the world that you're getting for yeah. being an army of faith. So yeah, also, that I mean end, also given that each of them will only well only each of them will only affect about a third of your army yes it's a limited effect so to that end um the faith in the emperor ability gives you plus one leadership and 
Each time a unit in this uh, with this ability is selected to shoot or fight, you can re-roll one hit roll when resolving that okay. unit's attacks. I mean, that's nice. Just yeah. Everyone universally is getting plus one leadership and re-roll a hit roll. Now, this is when you are in the further stage, because of course this is now Crusade, and therefore we have multiple stages and transitions between them. So, okay. An army of faith is in one of two states at any given time, which is either in the further stage or the retribution stage. It starts in the further stage, and by doing things and killing things and winning games, you earn further points. And once you have 20 plus further points, you can, but don't have to, move to the retribution stage. When you're in the okay. retribution stage, you have a different chapter tactic, because at that point, rather than faith in the emperor, all your units have crusading wrath. So instead, Ooh. they gain plus one inch to their movement characteristics, and each time a unit with this ability is selected to shoot or fight, you can re-roll one wound roll when resolving that unit's attacks. Okay, cool. But the main gimmick is that when you're in the retribution stage, you have access to five sort of like unique mini stratagems, which rather than spending command points, you spend your accumulated further points on. Okay. And once you drop down to five or less further points, you return to the further stage. Huh, okay, because okay, you, that's cool. Because you've expended all your righteous fury. Right, yes. So what you really want to do is save up all your righteous righteous fury for when you've got a really hard game. And yeah. then splurge them all. So uh, in terms of gaining cool. and losing those further points... Um, at the end of each battle during the further stage, you gain points for each of the following and add them to your tally. If you won or drew the battle, you gain D3 plus 3 further points. If you lost the battle, you gain D3 further points <laughs> as opposed to D3 plus 3. If the um, enemy warlord was destroyed, gain D3 further points. If any enemy chaos units were destroyed, gain D3 religious further points. <laughs> nice. So you play games, win games, kill warlords, kill chaos. Fair. You lose points if you lost or drew the battle, lose d6 further points. So if you do lose, you gain d3 and lose d6. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, it's in flux. It's the Emperor's will. Yes. Um, if your warlord was destroyed, you lose D3 further points. And if any units from your army were destroyed by a chaos unit that then failed an out-of-action test, lose D3 further points. So if you okay. actually got injured or harmed by a chaos unit, yes. like in terms of crusade injuries, <laughs> lose D3. Uh, so typically you will be gaining more than you'll be losing just by playing. You know. Um, yeah. So then, there's also a agenda that you have access to while you're in the further stage, which is the obligatory, the opponent places a bonus objective marker on the table. Um, if you control it at the end of the game, um, you gain three further points, and the unit controlling it gains four experience. Nice. Uh, you can perform an action to pick it up and then move with it, so it's basically like a relic objective. Yeah. Um, and you also have access to a requisition, which is the Martyrs to the Cause. For one requisition point, purchase this requisition when an army of faith unit from your army fails an out-of-action test. 
gain a number of further points equal to the number of crusade points that unit has and then remove it from your order of battle <laughs> okay so for one requisition you permadeath a unit to exchange crusade points for further points because I mean, they, they are now martyred that doesn't sound like a particularly good deal but I guess if you've got a unit that you don't want anymore <laughs> if it's got crusade points but it's also got a lot of battle scars yeah cash it in for further fine <laughs> um, so then when that's all of the further stage so like I say kill things win games claim your agenda relic and potentially mm. sacrifice units to gain further points yeah um, when you've got 20 or more you can move into the retribution stage like I say your chapter tactic changes up to movement bonus and wound rerolls uh, you have access to a new agenda, which is basically where you keep a kill tally for your units, and the units gain XP, and you gain further points for every five tally marks. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's... Uh, you have a bringing the light tally each time a unit destroys an enemy unit within 12 inches, add two to its tally instead add one to its tally add two instead if it was within your opponent's deployment zone each unit gains one xp for each mark on its tally and at the end of the battle add the total of all the tallies from your armies together and for every five marks you gain one further point so that agenda lets you kind of keep fueling being in the retribution stage yeah um, which you do still gain your further um points oh wait no you don't ah no okay sorry <laughs> Just to uh -huh. specify a little bit, so when I was talking earlier about gaining and losing further points, the gaining conditions are in effect when you're in further stage. So the if you win, D3 plus 3. If you lose, you yep. gain D3. Yep. Enemy Warlord and Killing Chaos units gain you yep. Yep. further. Losing them is only in effect when you're in the Retribution stage. So okay. if you lose or draw, if your Warlord is killed, or if Chaos units harm you, you lose further quicker during the retribution. Right. I think not... that makes a bit more sense. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. And then well, ultimately... That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And then ultimately, the sort of the whole payoff of this whole system is that when you are in the retribution stage, you have access to divine retribution, which is during each battle, during the retribution stage, you can spend your further points to use divine retribution abilities, which are basically stratagems. Yep. When you do so, select that uh, ability you wish to use, subtract the listed number of further points from your tally. You can only use each divine retribution ability once during each turn. So again, sounds a lot like stratagems to me. Yeah, more or less. Um, so I'll just go through all these because they are quick but they're all good go for it um, Divine Rage, one further point use this ability before an army of faith model from your army makes a melee attack add one to the damage characteristic of that attack to a maximum of three okay Divine Aim one further point, use it before a faith, army of faith model from your army makes a ranged attack you could ignore any or all modifiers to the hit roll for that attack Okay. Divine Inspiration, one plus further points. Use it in your command phase, select an army fifth character from your army until your next command phase. That model gains the following aura ability. 
While a friendly Army of Faith unit is within six inch of this model, each time a combat attrition test is made for a model in that unit, add a number to the result equal to the number of religious fervor points spent to gain this effect. So basically, Interesting. for one point, you'll gain an aura of don't run away or, uh, yeah. above half strength and only run on ones under half strength. And for two fervor points, just nobody's going to run away after the initial model that flees. Yes. Unless you get additional uh, modifiers. Yes. But you could spend three further points or four points or five <laughs> points or whatever to offset Qu- quite. that. Quite. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Mr. Scary Nightlord player has made me be at minus three on my combat attrition tests. Well, three further points and I'm fearless in the face of the night. <laughs> nice. Um, Divine Fury. Uh, one plus further points. Use this ability after making a charge roll for an army of faith unit from your army. Add a number to the result equal to the number of further points spent to gain this effect to a maximum of plus Ooh. three. Well, that's real tasty. And it's after making a charge roll, yeah. so it's not before yeah. it. Uh, so just in case you fell short of your charge by one to three inches, spend one to three yeah. further points, and now you've made it. Oof. And then finally, Divine Intimidation. Use this ability at the start of any turn. Select one enemy character unit within six inches of an army of faith character model from your army. Until the end of that turn, half the range of that enemy character unit's aura abilities. Useful. Useful. So yeah, that's your Divine Retribution mini strats. So yeah, it's, um, it's a system of playing Imperial Soup that goes between yeah. two stages of gaining and losing further points in order to get various bonuses and stratagems. Very interesting. Very crusade. Like, very yeah. fluffy. Very much, this is creating your own narrative just by playing this army. It doesn't even matter what missions you're playing, who you're playing against, or what campaign you're in. The army itself is going to have its self-contained narrative just by existing the way it does. Yeah. I'll tell you what's interesting. The um, the Space Rain Codex, uh, as I understand it, the Crusade section of that is is looking a bit kind of bland these days compared to all the stuff we've been getting recently. Uh, so I think this is probably the first kind of... Uh, it's not the first thing, but it's, it's quite a big boost to the Crusade section of the Space Rain Codex, effectively. Yeah, effectively. Uh, I mean, me personally... I could quite easily see a Black Templar army just playing as a um, army of faith. You don't even need to include any yeah. sisters or guard. Just <laughs> pure Astartes. It forces you to have at least one priest, and you have to have one troop choice per non-troop choice. Yeah, but, but I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be taking a priest anyway. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be taking a priest anyway, <laughs> probably. Um, fine, you have the one Crusader troop. Crusader squads are really good. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and you would trade in your default Templar chapter tactic, which is it something to do with advancing and charging? I can't remember. I honestly. don't remember. <laughs> it's something like that. Like, obviously, you would, in theory, still get your vows. You would still get your. Um, uh, you definitely would still get your vows if you're all Black Templars. Y- yes, actually, yeah. So the only thing is that rather than whatever the standard Templar chapter tactic, which I say, I think it's something like pluses to charges, maybe can't remember um you get, right. you get leadership bonuses and a hit re-roll or a movement bonus and a wound re-roll depending on what yeah. stage you're in 
which is it i mean the movement bonus is is pretty good isn't it yeah it is so yeah i mean i think that wouldn't be a bad choice just to try out as pure templates yeah. oh, and um in addition to that there are also some unique uh, crusade relics um tied to cool. this faction which also plays into their mechanics um so for example the artificer relic the blood of saint calga saint who <laughs> again <laughs> um army of faith model only add one to the attacks characteristic of the bearer while your army is in the further stage if this model is on the battlefield at the end of the battle gain one further point while your army is in the retribution stage once per battle in your command phase you can lose d3 further points until the end of the turn add the result to the bearer's strength characteristic oh hello so again another way of expending those further points once you're in the retribution stage strong um and then there's um there's an antiquity and a legendary relic for them both as well are, are any of them bones? They are not. I say we've got some nah. blood, but yeah. no bones. Okay. Um, but yeah, funnily enough, the uh, the legendary relic is the Blade of Retribution. Cool. Um, it's a power sword equivalent that's uh, plus two strength, AP minus four, damage free. Um, while nice. the bearer's army is in the further stage, add one to the bearer's attack characteristics. While yep. the bearer's army is in the retribution stage, change this weapon's strength characteristic to plus four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which, when bearing in mind, as funny as it is, this could be wielded by an Imperial Guard platoon commander. Yeah. Suddenly <laughs> <laughs> he's got a plus four strength, AP minus four damage free sword. Nice. <laughs> no one's messing with him. No. Um, but yeah, it's... It's a very cool crusade army of renown. Because <laughs> that's very uh, much what it is, really. Yeah. I just, uh, just it reminds me, because I I don't really know much about it, but I heard about the um, the Torchbearer fleet uh, thing in um, in a White Dwarf. Yes. I don't think we've, I don't think we've covered, or at least we haven't covered extensively. Uh, but it no. sounds like it's a similar format. It is. Um, so that actually was the first instance, I believe, of seeing a multi-stage conditional thing for a Crusade Force. Yeah. Um, which, again, was something where it was like, stage one was you were meant to be out finding a target chapter that you were attempting to reinforce, and you were trying to find out information about its location and where you could find it to reinforce it with Primaris Marines. Um, and then stage two was once you got there, you then gave them the recruits and fought with them for a campaign, you know, so that the recruits could basically, the recruits could basically become uh, yeah. um, indoctrinated with them, you know, and be like, they now, we're now convinced that these recruits have been accepted and assimilated and are all now part of the new chapter. Let's move on and find the next chapter. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a similar kind of thing and it's a, I know this one. It, that neither of them are exclusively space marines. I think they both have options for. Yeah, so I think the in. torch fleet was a similar thing where it was a um, a soup of Astartes, Admech, and Custodes. Yeah, but 
if we focus on the space marines i mean i guess it, it kind of works with all of them but like there's a lot more options now for space marines on crusade than just in the book <laughs> yeah or for guard guard actually have a yes. thing they could do <laughs> yeah um so yeah like between uh, hold you... on you you can still give them the imperial infantry infantryman's uplifting primer right oh of course you could always do that yeah and if you really wanted you could also do awakening machine spirits while playing from ashes uh, amidst the ashes so you could also be trying <laughs> to enhance their vehicles so there are things you could do now as a guard player yeah. you know for the next six months before you get a codex <laughs> quite um but yeah so that's all very interesting yeah. i just think it's really cool that there's you know more stuff coming out if you want to do a cool fluffy space marine crusade even though you've got you know now the oldest ninth edition book that's that's not got much in it for this sort of thing yeah and we might see more of these multi-stage things as well in general army books i believe the gene stealer cult is a crusade rule set that uses two stages yeah which basically has planning and then uprising as it's two yeah, stages I'm... to take it over the planet that they're on I'm not sure how the Tau one works, but I think they've got a similar sort of thing. Yeah, where they have to... the Tau one I think actually is a bit more like a, <laughs> it's a sort of like risk board, you know, where they're trying to take over territory yeah. by gaining diplomacy slash war points on different planets. It is like like playing a mini campaign on your own. Kind yeah, of. <laughs> kind of. What would be really cool would yeah. be to see um, a campaign where a Tau player plays a GSC player and you sort of intermingle their Crusade yeah. rules to represent the yeah. Gene Stealer player trying to take over planets that the Tau have assimilated. <laughs> That'd be cool. Um, but then, then that is not all. So we do have okay. one last section to cover tonight. So we'll be back in just a minute with the last portion of the Crusade rules from um, Bozo Natchmund. You kids listen up now, listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides, tell the paint boy over at Narrative War Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Right. Narrative Wah Painter is now open for painting commissions. Specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. What did I say? Right, you kids. Get your loot in the truck and zog off to the paint line. It better be redder and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them Red Tooth sent you. You might get some extra special. So, Dan, I believe you mentioned in our segment that you thought the Space Marine Codex was a little shy on things it could do in Crusade. I did say that, yes. Well... Have I got more Crusade rules for Space Marines for you? <laughs> okay. Because um, we now have Banners of Renown. Ooh. 
Which, yeah, is a fun little thing that's added in here. And um, like you say, funnily enough, being an early edition codex, this sort of Crusade rules for Space Marines are looking a little sparse now by comparison to some of the more recent factions with their whole, you know, galactic map slash planetary conquest systems that they now have. Yeah. Um, well, Space Marines can now have extra pretty banners. Yeah. So That's nice. Of course, with the release of the new uh, Primaris Ancient model, uh, Games Workshop has obviously felt the need to write some rules for it. In this case, it's for Crusade. So now, Space Ring players, and this is all flavours, for once, even the Death Watch get to play with these rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, they basically get access to a new requisition called a Banner of Renown. So you purchase this requisition at any time. Select one, adapt to Sestati's Ancient. Doesn't specifically have to be Primaris either. Just an That's ancient nice. uh, model from your order of battle. That model gains the Banner of Renown keyword. Yay. And basically, he now gains a tally of uh, Banner of Renown points. Uh, was it? Yeah. Renown tally. To basically represent how um, impressive slash storied slash campaign rewards this banner is now worth you know and like how glorious yeah. its uh, honor roll is um and you basically do things to gain points and spend those points on upgrades for your banner so it has extra rules because it's fancy okay um, yep so fancy banner yep so when you've got your fancy banner uh any game in which you play it at the end of each battle round as opposed to just end game um, add one to a model's renown tally if any of the following apply to a maximum of 10 per battle okay uh, so at the end of any battle round add one if that model is within range of an objective marker you control fine that model is within 6 inches of any enemy units fine that model destroyed any enemy character units during this battle round, which would be impressive <laughs> with the uh, banner ancients who don't tend to have weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that model is wholly within your opponent's deployment zone. Sure. Or that model performed the plant the standard action as part of the honor the standard agenda from Codex Basements. Okay. So again, you've actually got more reason to be taking a particular agenda you might not have been doing before. I can't tell you what yeah. that does exactly, but I'm guessing it's probably go stand in the middle of the table and do this action. Yeah, I imagine it's equivalent to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, be on objectives, be near the enemy, kill enemy characters, be in your opponent's deployment zone, and wave the flag about. These are all yeah. things that gain you glory points as a, uh, a banner bearer. As they should. As they should. Um, and at the end of the battle, add one to this model's renowned tally for each of the following that apply. That model lost any wounds during the battle, but was not destroyed. Um, and if you won the battle. Okay. So in many a cinematic trailer, if you've got an injured space marine waving a banner, that is particularly more glorious than an uninjured space marine yes. <laughs> waving it. Absolutely. Uh, and after each battle, each banner... Each banner of renown model gains a number of renown points equal to that model's renown tally, and they can be spent to purchase banner of renown upgrades. Each time you purchase any of the following upgrades, you increase that unit's crusade points by one. 
So funnily enough, if this basic was part of an army of faith, he could quite easily get a very high crusade point value by having a very fancy banner and then being martyred to the cause and being worth <laughs> a lot of further points. <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got um, nine different upgrades of varying... Um, renown point costs so bear in mind that you could get up to 10 points per battle each yep. of these upgrades vary between 10 to 30 points okay um each one of them can only be taken once uh, with the exception of the one that um basically repairs damage which we'll get to in a little bit um and you can have as many of them and as multiple of them as you can afford. But obviously, if you've got all effective eight additional bonuses, one, you can have a ridiculously fancy banner. Two, you're probably at the end of a very long, if not multiple stage campaign. And three, yep. this guy's crusade points value is going to be through the roof. Yeah. But you can Worth get it. Worth fancy it. Fancy banner. So some of the uh, bonuses that these can give you... Uh, glorious finale the bearer has the following ability aura while a friendly core or character unit is within six inches of this model uh, that unit has a five up in one yeah that's good roll of honor once per phase after making a hit roll or wound roll for an attack made by this model you can change the result to a six this is not a modifier <laughs> okay sure. I mean fine Energized Staff. Each time this model fights, it can make one additional attack using the close combat profile from the core rulebook, but if the attack scores a hit, the target suffers D3 mortal wounds in the attack it presents. <laughs> nice. Shock Staff. Love it. Symbol of Purity. While the enemy unit is within six inches of this model, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, subtract one from attack's hit roll. So, okay. aura of minus one to hit. That's good. Uh, Aquila of Spiritual Fury. Aura. While a friendly core unit is within 6 inches of the bearer, each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack on an unmodified hit roll of a 6, add one to that attack's strength characteristic and improve the armor penetration of that attack by one. This bonus is cumulative with combat doctrines. Ooh. Okay. So, yeah, Flesh Terror's banner bearer is going to be putting out an aura of sixes in the combat uh, doctrine are going to be at minus three AP on top of whatever your weapons. <laughs> nice. So they're just going to be punching through armor. Yeah. Um, Adamantine Freds. Improve this model's save characteristic by one. To maximum <laughs> two plus, because the banner becomes a shield. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing uh, each time this model suffers any banner damage which we'll get to in a minute on the 4 plus the banner damage that they ignored okay tassels of duty the bearer has the following aura ability okay. while a friendly okay. core unit is performing an action within 6 inches of the bearer that unit can make range attacks without the action failing yep that's useful and for 30 points icon of crusade the bearer has the objective secured ability and the following aura ability. While a friendly core unit is within six inches of the bearer, that unit has the objective secured ability. 
If the unit already has the objective secured ability for the purposes of determining which player controls the objective marker, each model in that unit counts as two models. Very handy. And all of those are various cumulative benefits that you could be stacking up. So across your crusade, yeah. you could end up with, you know, your shock stave, storm shield, aura, invuns, and obsec <laughs> banner. Yeah, you could have some crazy banners. You'd have some damn crazy banners. It'll take you a good number of games to get there, but um, you'll uh -huh. get there. And then finally, being Crusade, of course, we have some sort of injury system. <laughs> so we have banner damage. So basically, if you've got a fancy banner, whenever the banner bearer would take an out-of-action roll, you also make a separate out-of-action roll for the banner. <laughs> okay. So you could have either or or both of them fail. So like your nice. bearer, your bearer could pass, but his banner could get injured. Or equally, the banner could be fine and he could get injured. Yeah. Like they're two separate rolls, but you make two rolls. Uh, and if the banner gets damaged, you roll a d3 and it gains one of three damages, um, which is either scorched form. So this is a negative aura of while well, a friendly core unit is within six inches of this model, subtract one from the leadership of the models in that unit because they don't want to fight next to a half burnt banner. It's not very yep. inspiring. Number two, you've got diminished magistry. Reduce the range of this model's aura abilities by three inches. Yep. Which obviously includes the various benefits it might have plus the innate banner abilities for being a space marine banner. Yep. On a free ragged tapestry. <laughs> Each time a friendly core model is destroyed in range of this model's Astartes banner ability, subtract one from the roll to determine whether or not that model can shoot or make a melee attack. So again, not very inspiring seeing yes. burnt up, tattered, <laughs> ragged banner. Nice. Now, the extra little fun part with this is that if you get a, a, a damaged banner effect and then you get a further one, you can't, you don't ignore duplicates, you re-roll them until you've got another damaged banner effect you didn't previously have. Until you've got all three. But if you gain all three, yep. <laughs> um, you remove that model from your order of battle. <laughs> oh no. So the banner bearer and the banner he had are permadeft. Cool. Because, like, funny, funnily enough, <laughs> even if the banner bearer didn't go out of action in that game, but his banner did, and it was the third damage the banner took, <laughs> it kills the bearer. <laughs> because presumably he has died in some glorious death defending the banner to the last, even though the banner has now basically been destroyed. Or he's been exiled in shame. Or that, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is also a banner upgrade, though, for 10 points that lets you remove a single banner damage effect that your banner currently has. Yep. So you can mitigate it. It's not like it's inevitably just going to get tattered to the point of death. You know, you can be spending the points you're gaining to repair it. But yeah, that's... That's Banners of Renown. That's that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So like you say, between that and some Armies of Faith, 
you've got even more things you can do now with your space range on crusade as well yeah. as your out of the box as it were crusade rules yeah it's quite nice isn't it it is and you know what else is quite nice dan go on new terrain features hey <laughs> so uh, I don't actually think at time of recording these are on sale yet, but um, the new Frontaris kits. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely seen a thing saying they're a thing, but I don't think they've <laughs> they're a thing you can go on sale yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, there's some Crusade rules in here, which I say Crusade rules. It's basically these are the rules, like you know the battlefield terrain traits and such that this kit comes with. Obviously, they don't exist as a data sheet anywhere else, so this is the first publication since their production, so that's where their rules are. Pretty much is how it works. Yep. Um, so there's a little list and breakdown here of the four key components, which is basically the um, the STC bunker, which is the one that kind of already existed in the Frontaris kit. In fact, you've played a game or two with me, and it's got one on the table when you've played. Yeah. You've also then got the bigger, fancier landing pad structure, um, mm -hmm. and then the satellite dish and the comms tower. They're also coming yeah. out, and I think that Orspec shrine, as it's known, the uh, the satellite dish. I think that's surprisingly big. I think it's one of these things where you don't sort of realize how big it is from the pictures. Yeah, but it's like it's a tall building. It's sort of like you know six inches tall and pretty wide base. So it's it's gonna block some line of sights for you know smaller infantry certainly. Cool. But there's a there's a list in here that includes you know the various traits that relate to them all. So for example, the landing pad is area terrain of light cover, scalable, exposed position, obscuring, blah 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 blah. That's listed for all of them. But also, there's a new little line of information for each of these, which again I think very interesting precedent moving forward under terrain traits for each of these things there's then a line that says narrative playability oh and each of them have their own unique narrative playability exclusively a bonus rule that it has when playing narrative play games so uh, well I think we had some of this previewed on Warcom recently? So, in the case of like, the landing pad, it was, but I don't think it was sort of explicitly outlined that the idea was that it was going to be a unique component of narrative play. It was just a thing that terrain did. Which I know, obviously, a lot of the time, you, you might almost assume that some of the terrain yeah. rules don't get used in the match play stuff, but for them to yeah, make I, the I distinction... Think if, if it hadn't said that, most people would probably play it that way anyway. Yeah. But yes. Okay. So yes, landing pad. Narrative playability. Hidden supplies. At the end of the movement phase, one unit that is on top of this turret feature and not of an engagement range of any enemy units uh, can attempt to access the cargo hold. Roll 1d6 on a 5+, plus. that unit finds additional supplies until the end of the turn, each time a model in that unit makes a ranged attack, add one to that attack's hit roll. Cool. Um, and then you've got the hab bunker has to take shelter, which basically is um, gives you bonuses specifically against the theater of war that is included with the rules for these terrain features, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but basically, if it's a infantry unit um, that's within an inch of this terrain feature on a two plus, 
um, that unit is considered to be sheltered from the various effects that happen in a spear of war. Because they okay. they jump inside the building. As you do. Um, your spec shrine and vox antenna both have a action that can be completed by characters to gain some slight in-game bonuses. So, in the case of an Auspex Shrine, you download propaganda to inspire your men. <laughs> um, this action is completed at the end of your shooting phase, if completed, until the start of your next turn. While a unit is within 6-inch of this terrain feature, which again, pretty big terrain feature for his actual footprint, I think. Uh, each time yep. a combat attrition test is taken for that unit, ignore any or all modifiers. Handy. And the Vox Antenna, same thing, action by a character. Um, as long as it's not engaged, this action is completed at the end of your shooting phase, if completed, until the end of the turn, while the friendly unit is within six inches of the Vox Antenna feature. Each time you can make each time you make a charge roll for that friendly unit, you can re-roll the result. Because you've given a You've broadcast a rousing speech to your men. Nice. Um, but yeah, the the extra little bit with this is that if you're playing a game that uses these terrain features, you can first of all use those additional special narrative play rules, which I think is very interesting that they're making that distinction for a narrative play extra layer of rules for something which they might do in future on other stuff yeah could even see them doing it to missions for example so you could have a, a standardized mission that has an additional special rule if you're playing it as narrative play yep yeah. but in addition if you are playing with these you gain access to two new agendas that you could do which basically relates to your characters using those two terrain pieces to either transmit a signal or download orders from command. Yeah. Um, and when you have character units that complete an action on those terrain features, um, for one of them, if you've transmitted the signal each time this is completed, you roll a d6. Um, on a 4 plus, it is acknowledged by the recipient, and at the end of the battle, each unit that transmitted any signals gains 1 XP, and if any of them were, it, were received, um, they gain two additional XP. Okay. And download orders. Um, if it's completed at the end of your turn, uh, the unit is said to have downloaded new orders. If this action is completed by your warlord, you can select one of your agendas, excluding this one, and replace it with a new agenda, selected as normal as if it were the select agenda step. Ooh. Any tallies for the replaced agenda are lost, and any units from your army cannot gain any experience from the replaced agenda. At the end of the battle, each unit that has downloaded new orders gains 2 XP. So that's interesting how any unit can just take this agenda to perform this action and gain XP. But if the Warlord completes it, you also get the option of switching out an active agenda for something else. Which yeah, I know of several games I've played where that would have been useful. Yeah. Where it's become apparent that a certain agenda is not going to be achieved by the end of the game, and I'm like, you know what? Wish I'd taken this instead. Uh, yeah, definitely. That's that is a 100% a thing that happens. <laughs> um, and again, as a precedent moving forward, I think it's interesting that there's something here that allows for the changing of agendas mid-game, or possibly even secondaries. Hmm. 
maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah, if it's a thing they're testing out in narrative play, it might make its way to match play at some point in the future, where maybe changing up your self-selected objectives mid-game is a feasible and doable thing. Mm, maybe. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? And then finally, 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 we have a theatre of war known as the Frontaris uh, Theatre of War, which basically is an atmospherics table where before the battle we roll d6 and consult to see which of the various effects are in effect for that whole game. Yeah. Because that's what the weather is doing you know, at that moment in time. And it could be a selection of different things from acidic rain to lightning strikes to abrasive dust storms, blasting gales, chilling blizzards, or battering hailstorms. Okay. Which, in various ways, basically uh, inflict mortal wounds or reduce aura abilities or make minus one to hit rolls, the usual selection of stuff. But yeah. depending on what the various things are, um, if a unit is within range of a piece of terrain that is considered to provide cover like for you to shelter in um, then you don't suffer the ill effects so it says that like you know when you're setting up terrain you basically have a new terrain trait that's considered to be like you know providing shelter um, and okay. you, you would agree what terrain features would protect you from acid rain because you're under a canopy of some sort you know um, stuff like that. Yeah. So the uh, sheltered building from the terrain set uh, would be that on a two plus, you count as being sheltered because you've gone and got in the building before the lightning strike lands or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'll just give you the first example, which is the acidic rain. After the battlefield has been created, players should agree which area terrain features on the battlefield should be considered to be sheltered. This should be terrain features which are covered from above, i.e. having a roof or otherwise would allow models to be covered from above. If necessary, adjust the terrain setup to ensure that these are evenly distributed across the battlefield. Each player should also keep a corrosion tally for each unit from their army. At the end of each battle round, each unit that is not wholly within a sheltered terrain feature gains one mark on their corrosion tally. Once a unit has three marks on its corrosion tally, until the end of the battle, each time you make an armor saving throw for a model in that unit, subtract one from the result. Nice. Because the acid rain is eating away your armor. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, it's um, an interesting concept of basically introducing this new terrain trait, providing cover, but it's all tied specifically to that theatre of war, which is like a D6 table of potential. Yeah. It's a bit like um, the open war cards. Yeah. Um, I, I like that it specifically tells you what terrain should be that because <laughs> yeah. like it's it's going to be very easy in a game to remember which ones are which because you'll be like oh it's the one that has a roof yeah. does it stop you from getting covered by the rain <laughs> yes well then then it stops you from getting covered by the rain job done unless it's the um, the building in which case you have to roll 2 plus to be covered by the rain otherwise on the one you didn't get in in time that is Warzone Natchmund Vigilus Done. Vigilus Done, that's the name. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it basically is, right? <laughs> basically. Vigilus is now done. So, it'll be interesting to see what the next book is in the series, but yeah, it's um, 
a bunch of new stuff oh, in there. Um, yeah. It feels a little bit more like a... Um, to say that this is the first Warzone book we've got in our new seasons system, yeah. and while the the mission packs and the GT circles are all going through the start of the new season, this feels a little bit more like a rounding up slash stopgap book to me. It, it, it feels more like a dedicated narrative book than like the Warzone book, uh, which I think is probably a good thing because we've got the, the GT pack, right? So this is the the narrative version. It, I think perhaps it's just or the fact... casual version, I guess, as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel yeah. like compared to say the Octarius stuff and before that the Charidon stuff, this feels more like it's a collection of stuff that just happens to be bound together in this particular book with this title, like the. The only thing that I would say feels dedicated to the nature of the narrative of the book is the Army of Faith. Like, yeah, because otherwise, it's kind of just got your obligatory. Here's a Army of Renown for mm-hmm. um, all the sneaky guys, slash all the speedy guys, slash all the demon worshiper guys. You know, yeah. it's just the here's the army that people like to cherry pick a certain aspect of as an army of renown i mean I, I guess you could to a certain extent extend that to any of the books really yeah but also things like you know here's the we need a codex supplement because they always have one right let's do order yeah. of bloody rose sure um we need a campaign system because we always do one uh okay what have we not done let's do a territory one that, that'll do yeah. basically the same as before but this time with territories because instead it feels like a little bit like they've said well we need somewhere to put the data sheet for the new captain and the new yeah. banner bearer model we also need somewhere to put the rules for the new terrain set uh, let's put them in here <laughs> in that way it's a little bit more like the the 8th edition style chapter approved isn't it a little bit yes actually yeah, I would say so. Um, like I say, nothing jumps out to me as being a reason for why why Vanguard Spearhead, why Order of the Bloody Rose, why um, uh, but why now for Banners of Renown for Space Marines. I, and, I would suggest the Vanguard one is uh, makes sense because, well, I mean, I, I don't know if it's narratively makes sense, but it makes sense from a sort of... Um, I don't know a, a marketing perspective because uh, the the Vanguard stuff first came out the first time we had Vigilus, didn't it? Yeah, I suppose um, that is when it sort of sort of featured. I, I guess in a way that that's almost like you say a, a marketing callback, as it were. Like it just happens to be that this is when these mod- this is the yeah. narrative place where those models in the real world first released. <laughs> yeah, because. I have read the majority of the actual um, narrative and lore sections in this book. Yeah, you I don't write a quiz on it. Yeah, I will. <laughs> um, and honestly, I don't think any of these particularly tie to any of the rules, if that makes sense. None of it jumped yeah. out at me as being like, oh, yeah. that's why it's Bloody Rose. Oh, that's why it's Vanguard, the Army of Renown. The Army of Faith, I get. There's a very clear reason why the Army of Faith exists as a thing in this book. Right, um, but I've pretty much read cover to cover all the other Warzone books they've done, um, and 
everything felt like it had a distinct reason for why it was there. Like all the everything in the Charidon books collectively and everything in the Octaris books collectively felt like it was this is what we're doing and this is the things in the game that represent those things. Whereas this feels yeah. a bit more like a collection of the odds and ends they had that they needed to put together in a book. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, it's not bad. It's not like any of the stuff in there is bad. Um, but I have to admit, I think maybe, maybe for me personally, because I had such a high opinion of the original Vigilus books, I was hoping this one was going to be great as well. And I think it's kind of just all right. <laughs> fair enough um, I mean I, I think it's fair to say if you want the stuff that's in it great if you don't eh yeah like if you want to, if you want to do all sneaky space marines this is the book for you if you want to do order of bloody rose this is the book for you yeah you know can't dispute that at all if you if you want to do a mixed imperial force of faithful fanatics this is definitely the book for you yeah I think I think if if I were an imperial player as such I would definitely be looking at the army of faith as an option um, because it's it's a cool thing for crusade and also you've got the rules for the extra space marine characters and the banners in there as well so it's a kind of um, a low key space marine codex update yeah I would agree actually yeah Probably if you are if you've been playing some Space Marine Crusades for a while, or maybe you've held off on playing one because you didn't feel like there was actually anything that took your interest. Yeah. Maybe these are the things to do it with. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Are we um do we know if there is a second uh Nachmund, um at time of recording I don't believe it's been confirmed if or what the next Warzone book would be. So mm. but Given what I've read in the narrative, I feel like it probably isn't going to be natural again. Okay, so, so it, we're probably getting the one self-contained Warzone book hmm. for each six-month season then. Yeah, I think if we were going to get a second one, um, if the first one has been called Vigilus Alone, I think the second one will be called Sangua Terror. And that's a pure educated guess. Okay. Um, because that's basically the sister planet at the other end of the gauntlet. Right. Got you. And basically the overarching... Making notes? Yeah, again, yeah. <laughs> feel free to make notes. But <laughs> the, the general concept basically is, you know, Vigilus has endured but barely... And the Baddens can have gone, well, I did everything I needed to do there. Onward through the gauntlet. Yeah. And, you know, he's sending now his various chaos forces to the other side, which means that the opposite Bastion world they're going to encounter on the other end is Sanguaterra. Um, so Fair enough. Where, if we have a Warzone Natchment 2, I reckon it's going to be around that world. Okay. Yeah. But it's kind of just sort of like just denoted that the slash is like that's just a signpost it's like you know yeah to, turn left at cadia find vigilus turn right at vigilus find sanguaterra follow the road to the soul system you know are we gonna actually get another book there is it gonna be the who next knows? book who knows i think um i think to be fair games workshop and us could both do with 
We could, we could both deal with having one of these books every six months rather than <laughs> every like three two. or two. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, personally, I want to see one in Imperium Nihilus. It's been yes. like, well, I mean, realistically, it's been five years in real world times since the, you know, the Citrix Maledictum originally manifested at the start of 8th edition. Yep. And there has still in that entire time been no dedicated like narrative or environment thing publication release that actually mm. takes place in Sanguin uh, no in Imperium Nihilus. The closest thing is the couple of pariah books like the Devastation of Baal. Yeah, yeah, no, the not um, Pariah Psychic Psychic yeah, psych, couple of psychic awakening books like Lord of Baal, which technically yeah takes place in the Imperium Nihilus, but I want to see a Warzone book in Imperium Nihilus. Fair. That's what I would like to see. Anyway. It's got to happen It's got to happen sooner or later, isn't it? You'd think so. But, to sort of uh, contrast with that, uh, the mission pack, which we'll be covering next episode, Wars of Faith, I think is glorious. <laughs> okay. I think it's one of the best mission packs for Crusade they've done to date, so I don't mind so much that the Warzone book is perhaps not as um, top tier inspiring because I think mission pack is. So fair. Look forward to that next episode. Okay. So I think, Dan, unless you've got anything else you'd like to add, I think we'll probably round out there tonight. Sure thing. No problem. So, yes, just one last time on About the Door. We now have a Discord server. Go check it out. Tickets are, yeah, tickets are still available for Crucible of War. Go buy them. And uh, until next time, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you discover more ways to play 40k.